that and we're back dig it i dig it it's good to be back (laughs) (laughs) we are we are back here trying to record yet another podcast on a monday to record (laughs) on a a monday yeah 11th hour 11th hour we're doing it we're 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 we're, uh we're sending it in Mm -hmm. not not phoning it in sending not phoning it in yes yeah not phoning it in this is actually episode 35. I went back and I counted. So this is season three, episode eight. Yay! Total, out of total episodes, it is the 35th episode. Is, is that like a silver year? <clears throat> or I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. Okay. Uh, it's but cool. we're getting I like closer. We're, we're on the other side. We're on the closer side to 50, if you can imagine that. I well, No, I can't. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But I do like the prime meridian thing where we've got two primes multiplied, you know, seven and five, 35. And yeah, <laughs> like that's something. I don't know. <laughs> it sounded cool. Yeah, it sounds All way right. cooler than it actually is. I think it's cool. Yeah. Well, I think it's cool. I'm pretty, I dig it. You know? Okay. Yeah, episode I can 35. tell. Episode 35. So, We're coming around. We're coming around the mountain to uh, year one. We're getting closer. We're not there yet. We no, still got it. Crazy. We're still we're still a few months off. Yeah, we're a little but, ways off. Uh, yeah. We're a little ways off. But uh, it'll be you know it'll be really neat to hit episode fifty and then episode one hundred. Wow, um, I think at episode fifty we should um, we should play episode one, and then pause it periodically to comment on how idiotic we were during episode one. I wonder <laughs> if we could. I want. Yeah, I wonder if we could make a. Uh, should, should could could we make like a bet where if we get to so many listeners by the 100th episode we do the 100th episode naked or something like that um i'm pretty sure that would lose us followers <laughs> <laughs> not gain any <laughs> but uh we could come up with something fun like that yeah <laughs> No idea what it would be. I th- I think we should do we if we get to that many episodes that uh, you have to agree to do one episode without any source material, no looking at anything on the internet whilst doing our podcast. Well, I can do that. I'm sure you can. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even believe you. you say that like yeah. <laughs> I hate you so much. I think you should have to wear a U of A cap. Uh, no. Mm. Ooh, the stakes are rising. Well, then I'll wear I'll wear a U of A cap if you wear an ASU cap. I have ASU gear that I would gladly wear and set on fire when we're done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 
Mm-hmm. All right. You, you know, I, I've uh, I've actually I, I told you the other the last time we got together. I think it was the last time about how many books I've been reading. Right. You you've uh, talked did, about it. You mentioned did I, it. Did I talk about that? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, I'm reading another book, uh, and this one I, I'm only about a quarter of the way through. Twenty five percent is what uh, good old Kindle tells me here, and the book is Dear Reader. Have you heard of this one? No. It's by Michael Malice, and it is the unauthorized autobiography. I like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> it is the un- unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il as, dedic- as, as dictated to Michael Malice. It's okay. called Dear Reader. So it's about Kim Jong-il, the dear leader of, or the ex-dear leader, now deceased dear leader of uh north korea korea mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's hysterical okay it is, it is absolutely hysterical yeah so michael malice he actually went and spent quite a bit of time now he's been a ghostwriter for a number for a number of folks oh okay he's actually been uh he was a ghostwriter for the autobiography writing the autobiography he wrote the autobiography ghostwritten uh for uh i think it was sebastian bach if i'm not mistaken i might have one of my hair metal band singers mixed up I think it was Sebastian Bach, but Michael Malice, he's actually a pretty funny guy. And so he wrote Dear Reader and he spent, he actually went to, uh, to North Korea and spent several weeks in North Korea. And I think he went a few times. And while he was there, he dug, he, he asked them, he's like, I'm interested to know about Dear Leader here, right? And they were like, they gave him all kinds of stuff to read. And so he sat there and he wrote all these, you know, read all these things that, you know, Kim Jong-il has supposedly written and all this kind of stuff, right? So he just collected all of this data while he was there. And then he put it all together and wrote about the book as if Kim Jong-il wrote the book himself. Um, but it's it's actually really interesting because the, the character of Kim Jong-il is, is portrayed as larger than life, as this heroic, mythical hero figure. And that's actually how North Korea talks about him. That's sure. how they yep. refer to him, right? Um, but it's, it's funny to read, you know, to see this kind of all playing out on the page. And, and, and it's written in such a way, like, I can hear Kim Jong-il speaking. Like, I can hear him. It's as if he's actually writing the words, like the way that the language is written. But there's a there was a, a point. A, a, no, there was not necessarily a point per se. But there was a, a passage in here that I actually agreed with the the dear leader, um, and it made me think of you. Oh God, no! Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That scares me. <laughs> um. Yeah, it made me think of you because, and I'm trying to find the. Uh, I'm trying to find the actual passage here. So while you're looking, I got to ask you, you yeah, said yeah. that you can hear Kim Jong-il actually speaking. Right, right, right. Now, I don't know what he sounds like in your head, but all I can picture or hear is the Team America World yes. Police version. Oh, okay. Right. So it's that's just how, like that. Exactly. That's how I'm I, so, that's I'm what I hear so too. Ronery and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's how I okay. hear it too. All right, all right. Uh, but this here's here's what Dear Leader through Michael Malice says, right? So he, the dear leader as a, as a little boy, he's, he's only in middle school. And, and it's crazy because, you know, even as a, even as in middle school, he amazes his own teachers and teaches them things about 
economics and political theory, political science theory, mm -hmm. physics, chemistry, you know, uh, he, so he allegedly was like the smartest man ever to walk the planet. Well, knowledge on loan from God. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Yes. Or right. gifted from rather, excuse me. Right. Right. Um, and, and this was a quote attributed to, uh, to uh, Kim Jong-il. He says, if you love your friends from your heart, then you should criticize and correct the shortcomings in their study and organizational lives. And I thought, that sounds Jason. like Jason. That sounds exactly <laughs> like Jason. <laughs> he goes on to say, well, and then one of, one of Kim Jong-il's classmates says, that seems hurtful. And Kim Jong-il replies, it is at first, I agreed. But as the proverb goes, whips make a good child. <laughs> yeah, parents love their children, so they scold them. So they scold them repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would spoil them if they ignored their children's shortcomings and only praised them. Criticism between friends is similar to that. Those who criticize their intimate friends will feel as great a pain as those who are criticizing. Okay. Who they are criticizing, sorry. I knew yeah. what you meant. So by, when you criticize me, you feel my pain. Yes. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. yeah. And... You know, I've said this for years, and honestly, anybody who's been in and around or even in close proximity to anybody in my family, if you're not being teased and picked on, you're not loved. Yes. And that's just true. We 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 tease, we pay, we poke fun, you know, and we just kind of nip at each other a little bit, but you're part of the family now. That's the right, that's a way to rite tell. of passage. And yeah. and if I'm not picking on you or not interact, guess what? I don't yeah. like you. you don't care You're about you. outside. I don't care enough to <laughs> yeah. even jab at you a little bit. No, those those are the people I keep close. Because see, it's like um, there was a, I can't remember what movie it was, but it was a older brother, little brother. You know, I'll pick on you and I'll tease you and I'll make fun of you and I'll be, beat on you, but nobody else gets to. That's right. my ability. Right. And that's, yeah, that's that's just the way. That's the way my family's always worked. If you're not yeah. being picked on even a little bit, it's because we don't like you. So get out. Well, and my family was the exact same way. You know, I, or the people that I tell, I'm like, if, if you're this butthurt over this little word or this little phrase, you wouldn't have survived five minutes in my family's house. Mm -mm. Oh, no, 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 no. And they would, have just, they would have just pressed on it even harder if they saw you crying. Oh, I'm sorry. Does this bother you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I think I've even asked you or made that same comment to you one yeah. or twice throughout the years. I'm sorry. Am I bothering you? Am I striking a nerve with you, sir? Yes. Well, yes. hold on. Let me just prod at that a little bit further. Allow me to retort. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was reading that earlier today and, uh, and, and I, it made me smile because I, I thought of you. I'm like, Huh. Huh. I see a part of Jason in dear leader Kim Jong-il. Who would have thunk? Yeah, see, you had that was that was really nice there for a moment. And then you had to <laughs> jack it all up and compare me to throw in the, the dictator. Dictator. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Yeah. Now so, Neil. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Neil. Neil before Zod. <laughs> Well, I guess we better at least like remind people of what we are doing here in case they're they happen to be listening oh, for the first yes, time. Yes, please. Yes, yeah. Please. So uh, this is welcome to season three, episode eight. 
number 35 of out of all of our episodes maybe we'll just switch to the normal counting of episodes i don't know no, this is way too fusion much fun watching way- you fumble <laughs> yep <laughs> so but here at the fusion underground what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment current events politics and culture our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more happier and empowered lives as always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jason Moret. I'm not going to throw it back over to you, but I just wanted to get that out of the way because remember, we're here to talk about, we're trying to educate people to become uh, more critical thinkers, right? So and talking don't throw about, it over to me. Talking, hold on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm getting there. Talking about current events, politics, entertainment, and culture, right? So yes, we're really going to poke the bear and we're really going to piss people off or we're really going to make people feel very, very, very uncomfortable during this episode. Okay. I think that's important for personal growth and introspection. Yeah, me too. And okay, that's good. why we're going to talk about it. So we're, right. going to, we're going to talk a little bit about football today. We've got two oh, stories okay. that we're going to talk about football. Okay. Yay. I've been following it diligently. I haven't. No, that was sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched zero mini games. I've watched zero mini games too. Uh, and as we all know, uh, the Sun Devils haven't played in like a month. They played over the weekend and they lost to the Eucla, the Eucla Bruins. They came back and won, won in the fourth quarter. Of course, I watched none of the game because, well, I would prefer to watch college football now, but really this season it's completely meaningless because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And no, we're not going to talk about COVID. Sweet. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I actually did flip. I was flipping through channels yesterday uh-huh. and there was a game on TV. I yeah. think the Rams, it might've been the Rams and the Cardinals. I don't know. Okay. I watched eight seconds of it and uh-huh. I was amazed at how underwhelmed I was with it. And I how flipped the channels. Care? Yeah, and I was like, wait, why was that so bizarre? And I actually yeah, flipped sure. back. There are no fans in the stands, and I right, did right. not think as a viewer that would matter, it but it does. It actually does. It takes away all of the feel of being at the game. Well, it doesn't – It when I said that it doesn't matter, it doesn't make me care. Is really No, 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 no. I, I'm not saying I care. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, wow, that's as retarded as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, Click, it's pretty dumb. On. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty dumb. Yeah, I don't miss it. I don't I don't miss it at all. But we're going to talk about we're so we're going to talk about football a little bit. Right? Uh we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about, a little bit about enter, stuff in the entertainment world. Okay? And um the main topic I guess uh, that I'd like to talk about is happiness. We throw that around a lot. Are we happiness. happy? We ask people like, "Hey, are you happy?" What does that mean? So we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about that. Sound good? Okay. All right. Interesting. So um, the first story that I want to jump into is Chris Collinsworth. If you're a Chris fan of football or have watched football in the past, you're you're at least you at least know the name, right? He's a he's a football announcer. He announces games. He sits with Al Michaels most of the time, mm-hmm. and he used to be on Monday Night Football. Now I guess he's on Sunday Night Football or whatever. Chris Collinsworth. Uh, he was um, he was a wide receiver. I believe it was for the Cincinnati Bungles. Um, pretty sure it was. Anyway, I and uh, I think he was. I think he was on the. If I'm not mistaken, he was on the Bungles when they went to the Super Bowl, and then lost to uh, 
to the Niners. Oh, wow. Right? Are you at, I know the name and I, yeah. when you said he was an announcer, I'm like, Oh yeah, I know and, who you're talking and about. I probably as have this com- his playing career. I don't know. I probably have that completely wrong. I'm sure, yeah. you know, I have a buddy, uh, I'm, I'm shouting out to you, Aaron. You'll probably correct me because I'm told I'm probably totally off base on how I'm, I'm uh, remembering all of this with Chris Collinsworth. I couldn't stand the guy when he was a player, but I actually kind of like him as a, as a, uh, as an announcer. I think he, I think he uh, gives good commentary. Okay. A bit of that. He relays the plays real good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's better than Tony Romo. We'll just put it that way. Yes. 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 Definitely better than Tony Romo. So the, 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 the Chris Collinsworth, he got into some trouble uh, just a little bit ago. So I'm going to read this article. I'll read through parts of it. We don't necessarily have to cover the whole thing, but um, enough to, for you to get the gist of what is happening around Colin or Chris Collinsworth. So this article here is from USA Today. It starts off, it's been an eventful year behind the microphone for Chris Collinsworth. Earlier this season, he and Sunday Night Football broadcast partner Al Michaels caught flack for making jokes about being required to wear masks throughout their call at Levi Stadium. All right, well, Michaels was off this last week and Collinsworth found himself into hot water once again. During the second quarter of the broadcast of Wednesday's Baltimore Ravens-Pittsburgh Steelers game, Collinsworth said in reference to Pittsburgh, quote, everybody's a fan. In particular, the ladies that I met, they have, a really, they have really specific questions about the game. And I'm like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. Did you catch Chris Collinsworth's mistake? Uh, no, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, was it the wow that he was shocked and surprised? The backlash online was swift prompting Collinsworth to issue an apology statement posted on Twitter. And here's what Collinsworth said. Quote, today on our broadcast, I made reference to a couple of women I met in Pittsburgh who so impressed me with their football knowledge that I wanted to tell their story on the air. Collinsworth wrote, I know the way I phrased it insulted many. I'm so sorry. What I intended as a compliment to the fans of Pittsburgh became an insult. I'm sick about insulting any fan, but especially female fans and journalists. I know firsthand how much harder they have to work than any of us in this industry. I was wrong and deeply apologize. So what did he say again? He said, I'll read it again. Chris Collinsworth, what pissed everybody off was he said, everybody's a fan in Pittsburgh, referencing Pittsburgh. In particular, the ladies that I met, they have really specific questions about the game. And I'm like, wow, you're just blown away by how strong the fans are here in this town. I, If you're having trouble following the bouncing ball, yeah, I know you're normal. Oh, oh, that, oh that's there's because, my deficit right there. Be, because Chris Collinsworth didn't really, he didn't do anything. But what people essentially thought he did is they thought that he was putting down women for... How come women can't, what do you mean? Women can't have a high knowledge of football, of the game? No, that's not what he said. Are you freaking kidding me? I'm, did, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. He was just blown away that, wow, these, these football fans are great fans. They know a lot about the game. And he happened to be talking about two women. This is where we are. Oh, my God. 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. So why is it? This is rhetorical. I know. Okay. But we live in a society where people are so anxious. They're hungry to be offended that they look for any slight in anything anywhere. If you're normal and you didn't understand why Chris Collinsworth got into hot water, you're normal. Welcome to the club. There was nothing to be in hot water over. He was impressed by the fans and was amazed by how much knowledge they were, they were asking about the game. Good. So here's my biggest problem. Mm-hmm. You know what? And we touched on this about getting offended or being offensive um, last week. Anybody who listens to you has a absolute 100% right to be offended at anything you say. I do not have the right or ability to control that for anyone else. So Chris Collinsworth um, should have said, well, if you were offended, I'm sorry for you, but that's not what I said. So this is what I said. If you took it the wrong way, sorry, sorry for you, but we've become so freaking obsessed with placating to that that we enable this kind of idiocracy to continue and permeate and grow and become something so where that now the common folk if there's such a thing anymore um in order for them to feel like they fit in they have to be offended somewhere otherwise they're not part of the norm i'm sorry that's just i'm that's just ridiculous this is part of the reason why i refuse to try and censor myself because if I'm going to offend you, I at least want to know what I said that did it. And usually, if I'm just honest and open, I know. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look somebody in the eye and go, you're a bleeding idiot. And if you're offended by that, then I can go, yes, I said that. Yes, I meant that. And if you took offense to that, well, good. Because I probably mean meant to offend you but tough harden yourselves people. I mean, seriously. And so in this particular instance, we're talking about someone or a small handful of someone sticking up for an entire demographic of people. And this is where this pisses me off. If, if it's Jane and Joanne and they're offended by what Chris Collinsworth said, well, that's a Jane and Joanne issue. That's a, their problem. That's not a Do not make it a entire female problem and then force Chris Collinsworth to atone to the entire gender for something that Gene and Joanne got pissed off about. Right. Do what about think- the, the Vicky and the, the, I don't know, Lucy out there who go, shut up. That's not what he meant. Right. I mean, what, what happens to all the other women out there who then surrender their own voice to the few who are upset i mean do we think about that well i don't think most people care i don't even i don't even know if we can if we can get away from it to be perfectly honest yes we can but it involves us as a nation hardening ourselves individually and taking responsibility for what is said what is intended and not apologizing for anything else and that's the hard part that's the hard part. If you say, you know what, Lucy, I hate that hat on you. And you get offended by that. Well, I would expect that. But what I don't expect is the entire ASU campus to file some sort of injunction 
against me and then force me to apologize for it. Just because I said I don't like that hat on you does not mean I want to burn the entire ASU campus to the ground. Don't add into that or read into that any further. I understand. <laughs> I, I get it. We've got history with that. But the fact of the matter is that does not force me to apologize to all of the other ASU students and faculty and alumni out there. Sure. When I was simply talking about the fact that I hate the way that hat makes your face look. Right. Because it makes your head all weird and pointy. Or what? It doesn't matter. I'm not right. talking to them. I'm talking to you. Right. So stop taking this beyond where it needs to be. And if you, Dr. Ramirez, have a problem with me, you confront me direct and that's it. Yeah. You don't get to become the automatic <clears throat> spokesperson for an entire makeup of other people. And I do not have to apologize and refuse to apologize to an entire makeup of people when I was not talking about them. I'm talking about you. Well, let's, let's, let us continue this football thread. Okay, go. All right. Because Matt Walsh, who I find to be absolutely hysterical, Matt Walsh, he's a, he's a right-wing uh, commentator. He's got a podcast off of um, the Daily Wire. Uh, he writes articles, uh, pretty much at least a couple of articles a week that are pretty much featured on uh, the Daily Wire. And he is uh, a speaker. He's a paid speaker, goes to universities and whatnot, and he speaks on right-wing issues. Um, but he wrote an article about football because uh, last week uh, there was a girl who plays for Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt and she went onto the field and she kicked the ball. And Matt Walsh had some words, had some thoughts about okay. all of this. And I'm sure I, they were received overwhelmingly positively by the general community. Oh, yeah. You can only imagine. I can only imagine. I like Matt Walsh because Matt Walsh, I think, speaks a lot of hard truths that most people find very difficult to hear. I love this guy already. Okay. <laughs> and so when the the... The young lady's name is Sarah Fuller. She plays for Vanderbilt. Um, she does have a spot on the team and she's their kicker. Okay. And this story is not really about Sarah Fuller so much as it is the internet's reaction to Sarah Fuller. And Matt Walsh is really critiquing the reaction that happened in pop culture to Sarah mm. Fuller and not really talking so much about Sarah Fuller. But of course people can't seem to see the difference. Yeah, no, I can I can kind of imagine where okay. this is headed so. So just like right now we are in we are about to embark on this little journey called let us read the words by Matt Walsh. And I'm sure there are going to be people in the sound of our voices that will immediately construe what we are saying to be we hate women. Okay? Okay. Just throwing I'm, it out there. I'm willing to risk traversing this necessary path. So I want to talk about Matt Walsh's writing and the points that he makes or doesn't make. But I know people will twist that and say, Fusion Underground hates women. <laughs> well, we got to have enough right. people listening to really yeah. focus so, in on us. But okay, go ahead. But I'm saying that, I'm saying that now. Okay. Because one, 
that provides a defense for us later (laughs) 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 where we can come back and say, no, 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 no. We pointed this out. Words have meanings. Yes. Right. Okay. We're not, I don't even, I didn't even watch the game. I can't even tell you what she did. I didn't watch any videos about her kick. I can't tell you whether it was good or bad. I'm not going to tell you that she should or should not be on the team. That's not my call. That's the coach's call. I, I can't, I have, I cannot speak to her talent or lack of talent, whatever it may be. I can't speak to any of it. I have no idea. Right. All I really know is one, the internet reaction and two, the words that we're going to read here by Matt Walsh. Okay. So let's get into it, shall we? Well, point of order. I okay. think it's important. Um, sure. The movie Necessary Roughness. Did you ever see that? Yes. Okay. Ever since that movie came out and we're talking what, early 90s, I think it was. Yeah, something like that. Um, and I watched Kathy Ireland kick mm-hmm. a football. I've yeah. been wanting to see female kickers for a long time since. Right. So uh, I am not opposed, but continue. All right. So let's right. continue. So this is this is the article by Matt Walsh. <clears throat> it starts off. It's really great. This was uh, November 30th, so uh, a week ago. It says, on Saturday, Sarah Fuller became the first woman to suit up and take the field for a Power 5 football team. The media has declared Fuller's performance as Vanderbilt's kicker a groundbreaking, glass-ceiling-shattering historic moment. Many in media and the sports world echoed Hillary Clinton's sentiment that Fuller, quote, that Fuller proved, quote, women and girls belong on every playing field, quite literally, end quote. In a game of escalating hyperbole, ESPN eventually claimed victory by declaring that Fuller has achieved, quote, immortality, unquote through her play in Vanderbilt's game against Missouri. Now, do you see what Matt Walsh is setting up here? Yes. He's not really focused so much on Sarah Fuller. He's talking about the reaction Mm -hmm. to Sarah Fuller. Mm -hmm. There is Mm -hmm. a difference. I want people to think about this. There is a difference in what Matt Walsh is talking about right now. And he's setting it up nicely. But this is going to take a turn 90 degree angles. And it's at a 90 degree angle right in in just a minute here. And you're going to see why the entire internet lost its mind against Matt Walsh. Okay. You had something to say. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I can. Okay. We're, he, Matt's actually setting up. It's This is not about the player, regardless of her or her performance or anything else. It's about the reaction. Right. It's Her name could be stricken from the record. Yeah. And it's about the first woman to take the field. In a power that's, five football team. That's yes. what this is about. It's, yeah. it's about the first woman. As far <laughs> as the media and what else is concerned, her identity and her name is irrelevant. Is irrelevant. But continue. Okay. Admittedly, she was spectacular. Fuller went five for five on field goals, booted three touchbacks past the end zone, and even made a game-saving tackle as the clock expired in regulation. Just kidding. Actually, she kicked one time. It went 30 yards. Vanderbilt lost 41 to zero. And the head coach was fired after the game. Oh, see, I was really going to get excited. <laughs> uh, this is now. <laughs> okay. Time out. No, we got to stop. We got to stop. You know, Matt, damn it. <laughs> I, I, oh, because I, I know what I get it. I get it. I empathize. I'm that. I haven't asshole. even gotten to the juicy part. I'm yet. that asshole. Let's, I totally am. But I haven't even gotten to the juicy part. Dude. No. Okay. All right. You had to be sarcastic. <clears throat> Why? Why yeah. do you have to do that? Okay. 
he, he goes on, he says, this is reality, not a movie. And in real life, women embarrass themselves when they try to play against male athletes. Oh. Now, okay. here's a question. Does he oh. have a point? Now, I admit, Sarah Fuller is in much better shape than I am. She'd probably run a 40 much faster than I could right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I ha- like, again, like I said earlier, I have no idea what her capabilities are. I didn't watch the game. I have no idea. Now, I understand what he's saying when he, when he said, using the ter- the words, women tr- uh, him embarrass themselves when facing male athletes. Not the best choice of words. I think he could have but easily is he wrong? said, I did, it's not about being wrong, and that's kind of what we're getting into. <laughs> so allow me to at least say, if he really... Now, I do think he was making a point to be antagonistic. I know what that looks like. You're talking to me, okay? Forget everybody else out there listening. Can, You're talking to me. Best, I know what that looks like. Can the best female boxer go up against the best male boxer? No, but there's can the, a way to also say that. Is, is there a woman on the planet who can go toe-to-toe with Usain Bolt? I don't believe so. Is there any team or collection of WNBA players who can go up against any male NBA player team? That I don't know. I don't follow either one of those. Yeah. I don't follow basketball. No, I'm going to, I'm going to bet that the answer is not, no, I'm going. So what I would say is that statistically and historically females have fallen short in their performance in comparison to the male counterpart. Now that is a statement of statistical and historical fact versus women embarrass themselves when they try and play against men. Agreed or not? I don't know. I, I wonder wh- why, why are we so, uh, why are we, why are we, why are people willing to be so offended at what he's written here? I think because it feels he's stating the wrong. fact. It well, yes. Wrong. And I'm sorry. He is. And so I am not defending. I, I am honestly criticizing to a point of saying this. Is he stating the facts? Yes. Is there a way to state the facts that is not antagonistically driven? Yes. Do I believe he is deliberately poking the bear on purpose because he knows it's going to rile everybody up? Yes. I know from experience what that looks like, and he's doing it on purpose. I mean, if, if we were to take track and field, for example, sprinting, and we were to take and just say, you know what? It's an open race. We're going to pit men and women against, you know, they got to do the time trials. You do the different heats. And the top ten race in the finals. I I would be willing to bet money that there wouldn't be a single female in the final in the final ten. Right. Well, and I'm not going to necessarily disagree with that either. I mean, if if you just look at it from a very scientific standpoint, standpoint, men are built with a more athletic frame, typically now than females. Now and I'm I not, will say this. I'm, I will say this, though. When it comes to strength and speed, I think men have the advantage. Mm -hmm. But I do not believe that if you were to take male gymnasts and have them participate in female gymnast activities, that dudes wouldn't stand a chance. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. There's no way that the dudes would be able to do the balance beam. No way. Because I'm I'm sorry. They just can't. There's there's no way. The the, probably the best male gymnast 
probably would not be able to place in the top 20 of the of the female gymnasts mm-hmm. on like something like the balance beam. I don't right. believe that could happen. No, I don't believe that either. And that's not exclusive to gymnastics. You know, um, we'll take, you know what? Here's a good one. Figure skating. Now, there are a lot of phenomenal male figure skaters. There, there are. are. But I, think but the women I guarantee are you the women will clear the ice with those guys. I believe the women are better. If they had to go head to head, women yeah. are better at that. I can recognize that. That doesn't yeah. piss me off as a man. Right, exactly. Um, it doesn't make me mad to, to say, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't offend me. If somebody were to say, well, you know, there are certain there are certain activities that men just cannot do or cannot do as well as women. Yeah, you you know what? I don't believe that men can can adequately compete in figure skating against against women. I don't believe that men can do um, more than half of the different gymnastics activities that are on uh, the gymnast floor compared to women. I don't think that they can compete against the women's events. I don't. Mm-hmm. I also right. don't believe that the women are going to get out there on the on those uh, on the rings and be able to because it's purely upper body strength. It's pure upper body strength and the women just don't just don't have it. They would get crushed if they try to do the rings, but the guys are going to lose handily if they try to do something like the balance beam. Mm-hmm. Right. And actually, you, you brought up um, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson last week and he talks about this with a, a, a term or a slogan, if you will. There's a difference between equal opportunity and equality of outcome. Should right. should all genders have the opportunity to um, participate? Yes. They, but they are should all be held to the exact same standard. And if they are held to that exact same standard, the equality of outcome is near impossible. And I, I believe that that's, that is a benefit, whether some people agree or disagree, with the separation of male and female sports. You brought up the NBA. Um, there are a lot of really dang good female basketball players in the WNBA if they had to compete for those same positions in the NBA against males the likelihood is they would be out of a job so it affords a neutralization of the playing field in the sense of equality um, for women to be able to have that same thing that men do and I believe that's important it's not a segregation it's about right well and, and again, again, I would be screaming, don't do it. If, if we wanted to put female athletes in the ring with male boxers, you take female boxers and you put them in the ring with male boxers and be saying, are you insane? Do you mm-hmm. want to see, I mean, you're ta- these men, some of these men are absolute monsters. Right. And right. one hit, one good solid hit. I mean, other dudes who are monsters can get, can be dropped like a sack of potatoes, Mm-hmm. by by these by these blows some of these blows would kill some of these women and oh yeah that's just that's just physiology i'm not well, trying to i'm not saying this to hate on women or be misogynistic i'm just trying to say that this is i don't think that there's necessarily anything inherently wrong with matt walsh and what he's saying now you can you can say matt you didn't have to say it in that way right but you can't say he's wrong. No. You can say that, well, you could have been a little bit more politically correct. Well, and, you know, there's a phrase a lot of my my friends use with me all the time. And it's like, no, Jason, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Right. And Matt I, Walsh is yeah. being an asshole. Well, let's, yes. let me continue reading. Okay, let me continue go going through this article because it gets better. Okay. Barely oh, scratching the surface here. 
Okay. Third paragraph. That was just two paragraphs. <laughs> First two. Right. He goes on. He goes on here. He says, but what we've witnessed after the kick heard around the world, a kick which actually went only 20 yards in the air and rolled another 10 before the return team bailed her out by jumping on the ball before it went out of bounds and drew a penalty, has been the weirdest and most unnecessary cover-up job in recent memory. The now-fired coach claimed that Fuller executed a masterful and pre-planned squib kick. The head coach of the team, formerly known as the Redskins, <laughs> called it a perfect mortar kick. Elsewhere, it has been called an onside kick. The SEC claimed Fuller one of their special teams players of the week for a perfectly executed kick that sailed 30 yards. Again, back here in reality, it was not perfectly executed and it was not a squib, a mortar, or an onside kick. There is no designed kick in all of football that calls for a kicker to boot it 20 yards to the sideline. And if there was such a designed kick, it's not the play you'd call when you're down 21 at the start of the third quarter. No, this was just a bad kick. Probably not much worse than what any schlub off the street would do, including myself, but not much better either. After the game, Fuller congratulated herself for proving that women can do anything. One is tempted to respond that women can do anything, apparently, except properly kick a football. One might also add that it's a good thing the glass ceiling was only 30 yards away. Otherwise, oh. she never would have broken it. These would be harsh and mean-spirited comments, however, and not the sort of thing I would ever say, though I must admit <laughs> the temptation to ruthlessly mock Fuller becomes even stronger when you read about the halftime speech she gave the team from ABC, quote, with Vanderbilt trailing 21 to zero at halftime, Fuller decided she wanted to address the team. If I'm going to be honest, I was a little pissed off at how quiet everybody was on the sideline, she said. We made a first down and I was the only one cheering and I was like, what the heck? What's going on? And I tried to get them pumped up. She said she compared it to Vanderbilt soccer's SEC tournament winning run when the team was cheering the entire time. I just went in there and I said exactly what I was thinking. I was like, we need to be cheering each other on. This is how you win games. This is how you get better is by calling each other out for stuff. And I'm going to call you guys out. We need to be supporting one another. We need to be lifting each other up. That's what a team's about, Fuller said. I think this team has struggled and that's been part of it. We really just need to build that team camaraderie where they can all lean on one another. It was an adjustment going from that team mentality where, hey, we're all here supporting one another. And I just wanted to bring that to this team. Matt goes on. These are now Matt's words. I have never heard of a kicker on any team anywhere giving a halftime lecture to the team. But such a lecture from a girl who was invited there as a publicity stunt would be, I imagine, intolerable. It reminds me of the time when I put my five-year-old daughter on my lap and let her park the car by driving it 10 feet up the driveway. And the next time she was in the car with me, she started shouting driving tips from her booster seat in the back. Daddy, make sure to stop at red lights, etc." At least that was cute. It would not be as cute to have the girl from the women's soccer team strutting down the sideline barking orders. Although given the team's record and performance, I can't say they didn't deserve the humiliation. Indeed, Vanderbilt sent out a tweet after the bad kick with a picture of Sarah Fuller and the words, history made. The tweet reads, quote, Sarah Fuller, Remember the name, hashtag play like a girl. Credit where it's due, they walked the walk. They really did play like girls and lost by 41 points because of it. Ugh. All of this patronizing nonsense surrounding a bad kick from a woman whose ego perhaps exceeds her abilities on the football field is merely annoying for me as a man. 
For women, though, it is much worse than annoying. It is patronizing, degrading, and insulting. Are women really so unimpressive and bereft of achievement that we have to treat them like we would a small child who draws a bunch of scribbles on a sheet of construction paper and claims that it's a picture of a tree? We congratulate the small child for his bad drawing because we do not expect children to do any better than that and because they are emotionally fragile and in need of constant positive affirmation. Is this the case for grown women? Must we stand and applaud and shout, great kick, when in truth, it was a very bad kick? Are women so pathetic that we have to call even their failures achievements? Not just achievements, but historic achievements? Is that how sad and mediocre women are that we must stoop to this? Answer, no. That's how sad and mediocre feminists think women are and perhaps are themselves. But it's not the reality. And it's not what I think or what any rational person thinks. Women are capable of extraordinary things in many facets of life. They also are capable of extraordinary things in the realm of athletics. Simone Biles comes immediately to mind. But women cannot compete with men in sports designed by and for men. They cannot do anything they set their mind to. Nobody can. They can do quite a lot within the bounds of possibility, but competing against and with men in a division one in a division one football game is outside of those bounds. Contra Hillary Clinton, Fuller did not prove that women belong on every field. She proved the opposite. They don't belong on a football field with men. And that's okay. That doesn't make them less than men. It just makes them not men. And there is dignity and beauty in accepting that. So I think Matt Walsh uses the absurd to come full circle and really illustrate his point at the end. Okay. That women are, women are just simply not men. So quit trying to pit women against men in all things. Well, and I, I find it interesting. He actually pointed out the feminist movement. You know, yeah. um, okay. So I have not been a fan of the quote-unquote feminist movement. Um, that does not mean that I don't like women. And that's, I think, ultimately yes. where we have to create and understand the difference between the two. Um, I like women. There's a lot of stuff women can do that I will never be able to do or not be able to do very well. Um, what upsets me, and this is this is any movement of people, is when you have a group of a small few who self-proclaim themselves as the representatives and mouthpieces for an entire demographic of people. And I don't care who that is. Nobody has proclaimed you the king or queen of anybody. And ultimately... It seems like the people who um, those people are actually out marching and arguing and striving for, they don't give two rats hoots about. You know, you mentioned there's there's a football team up on the back of my wall right over here. I don't know a single one of the people who are out claiming for uh, change the name now of the Washington Redskins who actually gave a rat's ass about what any of the native american population actually thought because if they did they would still be the washington redskins and so would many other football teams still be redskins etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Um, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't believe that any of the quote unquote feminists that are out marching for any of the equal rights or any of those movements actually take the female voices into account. They take their own and that's it. Right. And, you know, I, I think, I think what's sad is in this Vanderbilt game, for example, what I think is sad is, um, this young, this young lady, Sarah Fuller, she was, she was the known third string, second string for the team. The reason why I say this is because this, this happens a lot in sports. You have a team that's getting completely annihilated. And especially like at the college level, what do you do? Well, even at the professional level, put in the second string. Yep. I'm going to protect my, my starters. Might as well give my second string some play time. Yep. Uh, maybe we, they'll make something spectacular happen. Who maybe, knows? Maybe something, maybe it'll catch somebody off guard, but quite honestly, the game's, uh, the game's lost. Yeah. Um, there's nothing we can do to come back. I might as well give these guys some play time yep. and give my, my first stringers a chance to rest and make them think about something. It's and, like Rudy from uh, Notre right. Dame. So how many other, how many other people were put in who were second and third strings and we're not talking about them. Why? Because they're men. We had no idea that they were second or third string. Mm -hmm. This second or third string kicker sticks out like a sore thumb because of her gender. Right. We're right. not celebrating the guys who were second or third string who were probably put in, in in different positions during the exact same game at even the exact same time and probably even in the exact same play. Well, and let's rewind a couple years. I think a year may might have been two. But anyway, we had our very first uh, female official on the field for yeah. the NFL. Um, yeah. And there was a situation, I don't know whether it was the first game or second game that she was on the field officiating, where there were some bad calls made. And there were, you know what, bad calls are made all the time. They're made all the time. It happens. It's, you know, it's, it's why everybody hates the officials. I mean, right. it's probably the worst job I can think of. They're, they're despised all the time, whether they get the call right or wrong, it doesn't matter. But I remember there was criticism of some of the calls that she made and people were automatically called um, sexist for criticizing a bad call. I'm sorry. That's, a, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be factored into at all. If no. the call is bad, it's bad. If it was right, then it's right. Gender of the person throwing the freaking yellow flag in the air should not matter. And in kind, if you're talking about a kicker taking the field, I don't care where it is. If they make a bad kick, it's a bad <clears throat> kick. And if they kick. make a great kick, it's a great kick. Gender of the person kicking the, the ball should not matter. And we as a society should have the, the, fortitude to be able to recognize it for what it is that shouldn't matter if the sexes do not matter and that's what we're always hearing the 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 gender of the people do not matter then we should be able to praise and or criticize equally regardless of gender and we're being now we can't do that and that's it a problem if you or I went out and kicked the 20 yard kick when our team is down and losing horribly and it rolls another 10 yards or so and almost goes out of bounds thus uh and our teammates have and our teammates save us from getting a penalty in the process um we're going to be lit up i'm going to be booed off the field we're going to be booed off the stage there are going to be people taking to tw to taking to twitter 
talking about how terrible we are and how we suck and all this, all of that's going to happen because they're judging the actual quality of the kick, not who made it. And so in this situation, sadly for Sarah Fuller and for the Vanderbilt team and everything, they, they didn't judge the quality of, they didn't judge the output of her effort. They judged who made it the Mm genit the genitalia of the leg that kicked the football they didn't judge whether or not it was a good kick they judged whether or not they judged based on who simply kicked the football now going back to the to the woman referee okay Mm -hmm. um you know one can easily say well all you're doing is looking and looking for plays yeah but you know what if i were if i became a referee in the NFL, I would be so nervous my first season that I'd probably make a crap ton of errors. Oh, yeah. Do I think in that situation that a female referee was a bad call because she's a girl and cannot, and a, she's a woman and cannot participate as a referee against other men? No, I, I think her mind can, I would hope, even works better than the male referees, right? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that her no. capability as a woman makes her a poor choice to be a referee. I don't think that at all. I think if she passed the, she passed whatever examinations for the referees that have to go through, she's available to, to be able to call these different games. Why not? I I think it's a knowledge of the game and an ability to catch plays and to see the penalties as they happen. Obviously she passed all that. I'm assuming I'm giving the NFL the benefit of the doubt. Right. And I'm assuming that she passed all of those examinations at the end of the day, though, you're on the largest stage of sports and you're probably, you're bound to make some mistakes. Sadly in her, in her situation, they were magnified because of her gender. Yes. And that is unfair and, and unfair in the sense that because we are so focused on gender equality right now, that becomes, um, I mean, the spotlight is on, you know, and we'll take, so back to, to Miss Fuller who, who had her, her football debut, the first football, um, female football star to take the, the jersey in the big five. Okay. You know what? If you want to call that historic, guess what? It is. Sure. That's fine. Sure. If you want to say this is, you know, this is the first time that's happened. Great. Congratulations, Sarah Fuller, to being the first woman to take the field. That's fine. There's And there is nothing wrong with recognizing um, a first moment uh, you know that there's nothing wrong with that uh, hey go for it if you can make the grade absolutely don the jersey um the issue i think is is trying to um i guess cover that up or cover up the uh, a failed performance or, or or sad first showing with something else i mean if you would have said you know as the first woman to ever take the field she was overwhelmed with the experience and, you know, fouled it up. I think everybody would have went, yeah, we get that stage fright. First time out, it happens. No harm, no foul. Yeah, absolutely none. And you know what? There's not only a lot of women, but a lot of guys out there would go, oh, God, yeah. yeah. Heck there were, yeah, there I get been, that. There have been plenty of male kickers who went out and their very first kick on a big game uh, completely and schlubbed it kickers i mean take that what about quarterbacks i mean <laughs> totally you t- i mean you talk about i mean look at all right since you got the asu hat on we'll talk about matt leinard 
um, was went out and of course he had multiple bad seasons, but his, yeah, yeah. he was an he was a force to be reckoned with in college as a quarterback. And then boom, his, he came out his first season as a starter for the NFL. He was a, just a abysmal. Um, it, it happens. happens to everybody. It happens I to mean, everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe she came out after the game and said, yeah, it was a terrible kick. Maybe she has. I don't know. I would respect her tremendously if she oh, said sure. that. It was like, sure. you know, I kicked it better in practice and I just completely, you know, I miffed it because I was, you know, nerves first game and everything. I totally get it. I'd be like, I, I totally okay. get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yep. Here's the thing with the female, with the female ref, are we not allowed to, uh, are our fans not allowed to bash on the refs because she's a woman? Oh, no, no. You can bash on the refs as a whole. But I do believe if you call out her, it's bad. I, I don't know. She's been doing it for a couple of years now. Maybe she's past the breaking point. So she's. So we can um, treat her like all of the other refs. Now. I think so. I, I okay. don't know. Um, I, I don't follow it very well. I don't either. I don't either. So. Um, well, good for her. She stuck around and she's able to to prove her chop. I haven't heard. Of, I haven't heard. I remember it was a big deal. It I think was her, a big deal. I think her first. Or was it the female coach? I know there was a female coach there for a while who was even on the, the Cardinals here with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I have no idea how her performance. Yeah, I think she... she's actually with the 49ers now, if I remember oh, okay. correctly. Okay. But yeah, well, I know, know who you're talking about. Yeah. Good, good and for that's her. that's fantastic. Yeah, whatever. It, you know, if she's got the skill set and she has something to uh to give to a team, I say why not? I don't, you know, yeah. it doesn't doesn't matter to me. Um, and more power to the to the female ref. Yeah, I say have at it, but let, let's just, let's just, let's treat all of these individuals based on their output and, and their contributions rather than just celebrating them because of their gender. Well, and I, and I think, I think that, I think that raises the expectation and it, I think that is truly where, it, where it counts. And, and I, I, I actually do believe in equality to a point. I, I don't believe in the equality movement, but I do believe in being, um, treated and measured equally and I'll, I'll flip it around just to make sure. make sure we're so you know I, I i know you know i work um in the medical field and i work with a lot of fantastic nurses they're phenomenal and yeah. i know a handful of male nurses i only know a very small handful of male nurses who are actually very good i gotta be honest i mean there's a there's there's good nurses and there's bad nurses overwhelmingly the statistics are female nurses tend to be a little bit better nurses than men. And Sorry okay. to say, but it's okay. okay. It's okay. But I measure by performance and outcome. And that's regardless whether that's um, sex or gender, if you will, or um, race. Well, it does, you, I mean, it does not matter. It, and I, I say that's okay. But what I mean to say is, is there's no, there's, there's nothing wrong. The, that's not even a right way to say it. I guess really <laughs> what I mean to say is why don't those men step it up? Not they because, should. not because they're men, but because I'm literally thinking about the patients. If, if, yes. if the women over here are excellent at their jobs. Okay. Mm -hmm. And excellent nurses, then the men who are doing that job should be looking to the women and saying, what is it that they're doing to give such excellent care that I'm not doing? Yeah. And emulate them not to become better than the, that's not what I'm trying to, this isn't a competition. No, 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 no. But it's not. if you recognize, if you're trying to do your job and your job is taking care of one of my loved ones. Okay. Then I want my loved one to get the best care possible. I don't, 
I don't care who the nurse is per se, as long as the nurse is excellent at his or her job. So I would want, I would hope that the men could look to the women and say, what can I learn from them so that I can become a better nurse so that I can give my patients the best care because the women are doing something better than the men are doing. So learn from them, learn from them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And give that better, that better care. Uh, and so that's, that's really what I meant when I said, okay, right. Is, is we need to be able to flip that around and men to actually stand up and say, they have something to teach me. Well, and, and I do believe that there is a, I guess, um, natural or difference in men and women in that makes women a little better at being nurses. I, and that's just my experience talking. So I think women are naturally more compassionate individuals than men. They're also also a heck of a lot better at multitasking. Hate to say it, but they are. And well, I, I wonder. I wonder also if it's if it's uh, if women. And I don't know the answer to this. I, I'm just hypothesizing. But I wonder if if there's something with women in that role because they have to look at the whole patient when you're mm-hmm. when you're taking care of somebody when you're a nurse and you're you're tending to that that patient. You spend more time. Um, and you're more intimately familiar with a given patient than even their doctor is because the doctor walks in, looks at them for five minutes and walks out. Yep. The nurse is there hours and hours and hours, day in and day out. They know what's going on. I wonder if there's a quality among the women who see things systematically better than men do. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, no, I don't no, no, know. No. That's I just can, a hypothesis. I can tell you, and, and this is just my experience and what I've noticed. Um, I believe that women nurses tend to look at the patient from head to toe, from door to door. So what were they like prior to the door of, you know, the hospital or the room that they came in or the facility that they're in or whatever that is to the door that they're going to exit out of. And they're able to look at that as a whole person. And they're very, very good at it. Women are amazing at that. Well, they, the also, nurses, have, I know, are they also have minds like steel traps, right? I, I can't remember yes. what I ate yesterday for, for dinner, <laughs> right? But they can remember all that stuff. So it right. sticks in their minds right. and, they, and y- y- they're better at that. Yes. And it is. It, it, and it's a, it's a whole aspect. Yeah. Men are very laser focused in their care. I, what I've seen traditionally anyway, especially when it comes to nurses or, or technicians for that matter, right. they are, can get very detail oriented about one particular ailment or area of the body that we're looking at. Women are very um, full picture. And right. I think it makes them hell of a lot better nurses than men. And I think they're predisposed to be better at it. Men are going to have to work harder to it. That's not saying that there's an inferiority. It's just a statement of fact. Sure. I wonder, uh, you know, and if assuming that's the case, assuming that is true, where women have a better, uh, have a better vision of, uh, of something, you know, systemically, systemic, Mm -hmm. um, almost, wish we could encourage more women to go into the doctor profession, right? To become medical doctors as opposed to just, I mean, I know the nursing schools are overwhelmingly women and I know the doctors, you know, medical school has typically been in the past has been traditionally dominated by men. And I think it's now around 50, 50. It's getting very um, close to, yeah, even, I think even, it's, actually. I think it's mm-hmm. now pretty, pretty close. Um, but that to me, if they're going to make great nurses, then they would also make great doctors. Yep. And anyway, um, okay, so um, we're going to continue this poking the bear of, you know, and when I mean, when I say that, I mean, uh, 
harping on this whole concept of gender. Okay. So this is a big one. All right. All right. Buckle in. <laughs> I'm I'm buckled and nervous. Go for it. <laughs> I think this is a this is a, an interesting topic because I think it says so much about what's happening in our culture. Oh God. So a few days ago, Ellen Page announced to the world, the world was sitting around minding its own business, mm -hmm. doing absolutely nothing. And Ellen Page decides to share with the world. Mind you, nobody asked. Right. Nobody, nobody cared. Ever does. Nobody right. cared. Uh -huh. Nobody asked. But Ellen Page decided she had announced to the world that she is now Elliot Page. She is now a man. Okay. She did not have gender reassignment surgery. She okay. just announced to nobody in particular and everybody at once that she's now a male. No, she's and, not. and of course, of course, everybody in the entertainment industry applauded. Started, well, of course, they applauded. Everybody, even outside of the entertainment industry, started to applaud. But various companies in the entertainment industry, like Netflix, um, I think it's on Netflix that has the Umbrella Academy. That's a that's a superhero show that she's in. He <laughs> that <laughs> uh -huh. uh, so they've been going back and they've been changing uh, her pronouns on in uh, and her name in the in credits. credits? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, so. A couple, a couple of thoughts, right? So now they're, they're going back. They went back and they changed the Umbrella Cat. They changed all these old uh, TV shows, the credits to Elliot Page, removing Ellen Page, right? Her IMDB now refers to her as a male. Oh, and her pronouns are he and they. Now, okay, okay, hold, hold on, hold on. I, I have two <laughs> things, and I, and I have, I know, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to take a breath because I have to be clear on this because right, I, I, right. it's something I've, I've been thinking about. So, okay. all right, mm -hmm. we have um, an actress that now actor yeah, who yeah. has decided to change their name and and pronouns. So, yeah. why does that make it the responsibility of Netflix and the movie makers and IMDb to now go back and retcon the original credits for all of these movies um, to reflect a current change. Now, before you answer that, I want to I clarify. There is time, effort, and therefore money involved in this. Now, sure. if I were going to make some sort of legal change to my name, and I wanted things retroactively changed, I'm sure that I would have to go down and file not only some sort of legal paperwork to do that, but also probably have to pay a fairly sizable fee to change previous records and documents. Our, I'm guessing that IMDb and Netflix and all of these other uh, companies are just doing that out of the goodness of their heart with no charge to Mr. or Miss Page um, at this mm -hmm. point for that. That seems seems kind of wrong. I, I it's if you want that changed and you're going to change your gender and you want your your all of your credits retconned, you should have to pay to do that because there's labor and man hour involved in that. So that's one. Two, if you want a proper pronoun to be he, and I don't understand this, he or they, yeah. is there multiple of them? No, 
She's a Did singular. Did she gain a new a ability to split into multiple people? No, was she's she, not, she a mutant? She didn't become multiple man. She played a mutant. I know that in X-Men, right? In X-Men, yeah. right? She played Kitty Pride in X-Men. Right. She walked through walls. She didn't multiply. So right. how is it multiple people? The English language does have meaning. Right. So you can't right. say they. That's more than one. Right. Well, we can't really throw logic into all of this. Yes, First. I can. That's what we do here on the Fusion <laughs> Underground. We have logic and principle-based discussions. Okay. So we're, damn it, we're going to have it. Yes. So there, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of things that have transpired since uh, Ellen became Elliot. Um, so one, I, I agree with you. I think, I think the pronoun of they is, is ridiculous because you're a singular individual. You're not a plural. Um, and, and words mean things, Right. So he, they, I don't understand. To me, that makes zero sense. Like th that shouldn't even matter. Okay. Yeah. Um, second, if, if somebody, if I were to meet Ellen Page, right? If I were to meet her in person, let's say she came to my home and I cooked her a dinner and I hung out with her, had a bottle of wine. We drank a bottle of wine or whatever. Um, I would call her whatever she wanted me to call her. Mm -hmm. If she came into my house and she said, I'm Elliot Page, I would refer to her as Elliot. Sure. If she wanted to be referred to as a male, I would refer to her, to her as a male. Absolutely. I would use, I would use that, that pronoun. And she doesn't even have to come into the house if I met her no, on the street. No, 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 no. I, yeah. Let's just, yeah, it does right. not have to be that intimate. Right. I, it, you know, I, would, I would refer to her, however, you know, she is comfortable being referred to by, right? Um, Out of pure respect for my fellow... Person. human being human being mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely okay um but there's a couple of things here that that bother me the 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 retcon i like how you brought that word in by the way mm -hmm. for those for those who are unaware retcon is a comic book term it means retroactive continuity going back and changing something in a in a character's background to change their history um for the present and that's essentially what Netflix and others are doing is they're going back and they're retconning, as you mentioned, changing the name from Ellen to Elliot. Well, Ellen, Elliot didn't make those movies. No, Elliot Ellen did. El yeah, Ellen made Juno. Ellen made the X-Men. Ellen made or starred in uh, Inception, mm -hmm. right? Elliot was not around at that point. Maybe Elliot existed internally to her, but she signed on the dotted line and she said, no, I am Ellen Page, but that's my name. When they asked right. her, what name are we putting on there? She told him her name. Right. That doesn't change history and it doesn't. And, but now there are all of these people online that are coming down on folks like you and I, because we're saying, wait a minute, you can go by whatever you want, sure. but that doesn't mean that you get to change our thinking as well. Mm -hmm. That doesn't you, that doesn't work that way. You, no, you can't and, change our our memories of things. Go ahead. And, and you can't change history. It's like you said, right. you can't go back into history and change. So let's pretend today I decided here at the Fusion Underground on the 7th of December 2020 that I am going to self-identify as a pig. I'm a piglet as of now. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. That does not mean that my son and daughter are now half piglets because I identified I was really a pig when I conceived them. And so therefore I've got little piglet children that fall around Winnie the Pooh all the time. That doesn't just magically happen and change their history and their upbringing. 
It, it doesn't change their um, self-identification either. It's not inherent. It doesn't go back in history. That doesn't happen. Right. So if I want to don a piglet suit and I want to run with a curly tail and I want to self-identify as a pig and I want to be that person now, then that's now. And that's fine. I don't think it's fine, but whatever, that's okay. And if you and I still want to do this and next week you say, Jason, I go, Hey, no, it's Pigleton. You know that I told you, you call me Mr. Pigleton. Uh, right. okay. Sorry. I forgot. I can't get mad at you and go, no, I've always been this way. You can't forget. It's because you should have known the whole time. That's complete boat. It's the mental gymnastics that you are forcing everyone else as a species to try and do for your benefit of not feeling some sort of way because of your self-identification is absolutely incoherent and inappropriate to everyone else. Well, well, you know, we just, uh, we just finished talking about Sarah Fuller and, and how the internet went crazy over a woman's accomplishments, mm -hmm. whatever those accomplishments were. Okay. Right. Um, and, and now what we're seeing, I mean, literally in the same week, okay, literally, literally in the same week, we are now seeing a woman saying she wants to be referred to as a man and the same people who were celebrating this woman's accomplishment of Sarah Fuller are now the same people saying, no, a woman did not make Inception. A woman did not make Juno. A man made those. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. no, no. You're erasing almost the nearly 20 years. Of a of, woman. Yes. You're erasing yes. 20 years, almost 20 years worth of accomplishments by a woman. Now, yep. whether you want to say she's talented, not I, that's not a, that's neither here nor there. It's right? irreverent. It's, it's irreverent. irrelevant. Um, but we're literally now in one in one breath we have to praise a kicker and the other breath we have to completely erase the accomplishments of a, a female actress mm -hmm. and how this doesn't make any sense to me now call her what you know here's here's the thing about about people that are transgender if they come out and they say i'm transgender i want to be known as this opposite gender I want you to call me she, not he anymore, whatever. Okay. Um, fine. That's all fine and dandy. But you have to recognize that some people are either A, they're going to slip because they're so used to referring to you as your, your naturally born gender. Mm -hmm. Right. And we all know, we all know that Elliot uh, Page has female reproductive organs. We know that. Mm -hmm. well we don't know that definitively but <laughs> well i yeah i, I haven't, haven't seen personally pictures. seen anything but <laughs> right. to the best of I mean, my knowledge up to this point right. i would concur right. by first glance without any previous knowledge or any disclosures i go that's a sheet that's a sheet that's a sheet right so we <laughs> we know that 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 elliot is biologically a female we know that and so there are going to be people that are either they're going to be either jerks or they're going to slip and they're going to refer to her by a different pronoun or by her real name, Ellen, her birth name, right? You can't be mad because that happens. And, and here's why. If, if I were to go out to anybody I meet 
and I introduce myself as Dr. Ramirez and I demand that people refer to me or call me Dr. Ramirez all the time, I'm just an asshole. People are just going to look at me as they're just going to think, well, you're just a, you're just a douche. Why? You know, I don't want to call you that. I'd rather just, you know, call you by your first name or whatever. That's fine. The, the same, it's just a, it's, a, it's words, it's titles. Does it matter? Maybe to a certain degree, but at the end of the day, it really truly doesn't matter. And so I, I think, I think people that are, that are transgender have bigger fish to fry than in, than insisting that somebody refer to them by a specific pronoun or a crazy pronoun or all these G's and weird like ze things and i don't know like that those aren't words to me um i'm not going to remember them and i'm not going to learn 200 new pronouns just because you don't like the he and she pronouns i'm not going to do that right so i'm not going to call somebody some crazy made up word pronoun but well, you don't have to call me dr ramirez either no and and so you said something interesting you know she he she but whatever um, you change how you want to be called. You cannot be mad for that. That's what you said. I disagree. Yes, you can be mad. You can be mad all you wow. want. You have that right. You have that ability. But what you it. cannot do is compel speech. And you sure as hell can't compel inherent knowledge that I have no right to. So what, let me, what Correct. I mean by that, if you change how you want to be referred to without any outward indication to me, then you cannot therefore compel me or compel that knowledge into my brain so that I know prior to coming across you and learning of that knowledge, what the speech is that I'm supposed to use, nor can you can compel speech anyway. We talked about this with, again, with yeah. the Jordan Peterson issue before. If, if I come, if I go have, um, some sort of reproductive surgery and I actually, if I come out with breasts and long hair and no facial hair, and I look like a woman and I come down the street, I would at that point assume or hope anyway, if it was successful enough that I won't have to get mad because some other dudes are going to go, Hey, what's up girl. And notice me as a woman. But if I'm out there looking like I do right now, I look nothing like a chick at all, or at least I sure as hell hope I don't. <laughs> um, and if I just decide to call myself a woman tomorrow, I don't have the right to be mad at anybody for not knowing that. Correct. And nor can I require the government or anyone else to impose penalty on someone else for not knowing Correct. that either. Correct. But you know, there's also, there's also the, the also, there's also the aspect of you don't, you don't have any of the experience of becoming a woman. Just like Elliot Page doesn't have any experience in becoming a man. She never went through male puberty. She never played with boys who saw her as boys and treated her as a boy. She didn't go through all of the trials and tribulations that young men go through when they're wrestling with testosterone. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out their place in the world as an adolescent. Am I saying that it was hard or as difficult? To, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking Different. about the difference, the difference that happens be between the genders. Women go down one path and they have their own transformation and males go down a different path and they have their own transformation. There's zero way 
for you or I to, to obtain those experiences of growing up as a female. It just doesn't, it cannot happen. And no matter, there's no way that Ellen Page has gone through that. Now, she may have, just because she's more tomboyish, doesn't mean that she's a boy. And, and, and this is something that psychology has been, has been talking about for a long time. There is a legitimate thing called gender dysphoria. Does she have it? I don't know. I, I haven't been able to talk to her. I'm not going to diagnose her over a couple of articles, right? But typically, when somebody has gender dysphoria or they identify as being a member of the opposite sex, there's, there's usually... And when I mean usually, I'm talking about nine times out of 10, there's some other kind of neuroses that is happening internally that they're trying to sort out. And this, this gender dysphoria presents from all of that extra baggage that is going on in their lives. And, and most, of these, most of these people, these especially young people, it typically happens in young people, um, they need help. In, trans, in just getting through the maturation stage of their life so that they can get to a point that's very healthy. Um, sadly, we're normalizing this behavior and we're, we're normalizing it to the point where we're literally wanting, some people are literally wanting to give, um, you know, blockers, gender blockers or, you know, hormones and hormone blockers, et cetera, to children as early as age five. Yeah, and that's that is absolutely. I, I just it's deplorable, absolutely deplorable. Um, you know, if I if I ask my daughter what she wants for dinner, you know what she's gonna say almost every time, pizza. Mac and pizza. Pizza. Go. But you can't um, give her pizza if, every. If single I night. say no, not pizza tonight. We're not gonna. Do that. Okay, chicken and noodles. I don't know why that's been her favorite meal. You know, since she was a little kid. I can't, as a parent, give her pizza or chicken and noodles every single night. Yeah, I can't do that. I have to provide for her, <laughs> her growth and development um, as a human being, regardless of gender. Okay, yeah. I don't care if, if that's my son later on. The same rules apply. So this is not a gender issue. The point I'm making is, my daughter is going to be five here very soon. She can't make rational sound logic choices about what to eat for dinner how the hell am i going to expect her to choose what gender she self-identifies as yeah this is absurd thinking and shame on every single friggin' parent out there who has the absolute weakness of mental fortitude to allow this kind of thinking to permeate and affect a child in this way. I have zero respect for any of you out there in the sound of my voice who actually believe this. I think you should have really thought about having children if that's kind of where you're thinking. Wait a Well said, Matt Walsh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> God. Just... There, there's a, there was a, a young woman in the UK and I, I'd have to go back and dig this up. Uh, but I remember reading her about a year or so ago. Uh, she is in her 20s now. I'm mid to late 20s. But when she was uh, when she was a kid, she in high school and such, uh, she felt that she was a boy, and she started hormone blockers and hormone therapy, and she started transitioning into a boy. Um, she had her breast surgically removed, um, just horrific things, right? Uh, and 
she realized shortly after that she wasn't a boy. She finally came to grips with the fact that she wasn't a boy, but all of this surgical transformation had already occurred. So she had to stop it and allow her body to heal and embrace who she was. But, you know, by this point she can't have children. Um, and it's very horrific. And, and so she was telling her story and she started um, uh, an organization in the UK to help children not go down that same path. And there are so many young people that are flocking to this organization as a support group because they've gone through very horrific transformations where they've chopped up their bodies and they realize that chopping up their bodies was, was not the answer and that they still felt this conflict and this inner confusion after they went through all of this horrific change mm -hmm. and they had to relearn who they are. You know, many people now, Ellen has an Ellen slash Elliot has not done the, the gender reassignment surgery, but there are a lot of people who do and their suicide rates are astronomical. Yeah. And if, you know, should, should people be accepted for who they are? Yeah, they should be accepted for who they are. But we also need to recognize that most people that have this gender dysphoria, um, there's other rooted issues at play and they, they need help. They need help. They need guidance. They need support. They need love from other people. They need to not be treated like freaks because that's going to that's gonna force them in further into their, um, you know, into these negative places that they exist. They need help. Um, and sadly, we're, we're just as a culture, we're embracing this and we're saying, yes, go chop off your wiener and become a woman because that's who you say you are. And you're just like, yeah, you can't. There's no coming back from that. No, that's, that's done. That's permanent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I... Yeah, we're oh, okay. I'm sorry. I I, I I recognize for a person that is struggling with that. Um, I can't really imagine what that's like. I I just can't. Um, and I and I'm very sorry. I, I I can't put myself out there that far because I I didn't have that problem. So for me to sit here and pretend like I understand what, what that person is going through, I don't. It's, it's absolutely irrational. I have no I, idea. I, I can't, I can't I, say I, I understand can't. it either. However, I, what I did go through in my um, maturation and going through um, puberty and growing up and, and, and that experience of adolescence, there were so many different things toying at me, a hundred thousand different directions on where, I mean, just life in general. You know, and a lot of, oh, I'm, I, I can't tell you how many ideas I had. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this for the, the, for the rest of my life. That's what I'm going to do. That changed like three weeks later. Could you imagine what would have happened if, you know, I decided I wanted to be a, I don't know, a flying squirrel. And I went and had constructive surgery to uh, make my teeth bigger and give myself a bushy tail and put wings underneath my arms. Oh my God. I mean, just because I saw I don't know, sword in the stone. And I watched the squirrel jumping around from tree to tree and thought that'd be cool. And next thing I know, that's what I'm going to self-identify as. I mean, thank God my parents, my, my poor mom, bless her heart. I mean, just some of the stupid ideas I had growing up. She's like, um, no, you're not yeah. doing that. I mean, thank God for parents out there who actually still have, um, just logic based thinking and understand. I just, it, it frustrates me. I understand parents want to be accepting of their children but i think 
a, a big rooted problem is that so many parents want to be friends to their children and that's not your place. I'm sorry. I have to understand that as a father. I, I want to be friend. I want my daughter to rely on me. I want to be there for her. And I want the same for my son. I will never be the best friend for my daughter or my son. Do I want us to be friendly? Do I want him to rely on me? I want to have a special relationship. Yes. But I'm the only one that's going to ever be either one of their father. That's a huge responsibility and much bigger and better than any friend they will ever have. And that's huge. And, and I'm sorry, a friend can tell you, oh, you want to self-identify as a, I don't know, monkey? Great. Go get the surgery. Heck yeah. I'll raise money for you and do it. We need parents to actually sit down and help work their children through some of these things. Well, we also need friends too, because why sure. doesn't why doesn't Ellen Page, why doesn't Ellen have a friend that sits her down and says, what the hell's wrong with you? Talk to me. What's going on? Yep. What's troubling you? Have you, have you seen somebody? Uh, have you talked to a therapist about it? Now, maybe, maybe she has had somebody who, who's done that for her, but I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't think so. That's just, that's just my, my guess. And I think more people uh, need to have this in their lives, especially once they get to an adult. Ellen is an adult. Elliot is an adult, mm -hmm. right? She's not a kid anymore. Right. So we can't really, we can't really look at her parents and go, why are you allowing this to happen? She's sure. a, she's a grown woman uh, who now wants to be referred to as a man. That's fine. Um, and, but where are those friends as Kim Jong-il in his autobiography, <laughs> you know, stated, you need friends that criticize you. Well, yeah, right. you kind of do, yeah. right? You, you, you kind of do need friends that go, what the hell, man? Mm -hmm. If you came out and told me that, I know I call you, I've called you Lucy for years, but if you told me that that was going to be your real name, cause you were going to identify as a chick. Um, I'd get in the truck and drive down the two right. and a half hours to your house and go, what the hell is wrong with you? What the hell's wrong with you? I'm going mean, to slap you across the face. And then we need to sit down and have a beer and talk about this because something's obviously right. going through with your life. Right. I mean, if somebody, if somebody came to you and said, Jason, I'm going to become an alcoholic, we don't celebrate that and say, yeah, you, that's, that's awesome. Let's call, let's call you the alcoholic, you know, you're the alcoholic. Here's, let me go buy you a bunch of beer. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. You as a friend, if you're a friend to somebody, you say, no, I'm not going to let you be an alcoholic. What the hell's wrong with you? What's going on in your life? Right. You need to see somebody. If you can't talk to me about it, you need to go talk. You need to find somebody that you can talk to because something is wrong. Yeah. Get on Jason's therapy thumping corner and yeah. he will straighten you out in 15 minutes. And, and even if that. and even if I said, yeah, but Jason, it's really going to make me happy to be an alcoholic. No, I, I call still, I call bullshit. I, I, of course, I you would you want somebody there to say no. It's yeah, you may think it's going to make you happy, but it's not going to make you happy. Now, I really hope for Elliot that he's happy. So on that note, let's talk about happiness. Okay, let's talk about happiness. Let's talk about happiness. So shifting gears, shifting <laughs> gears, and, and from the insanity <laughs> and head rubbing onto happy. <laughs> That's a great so, segue. Let's yeah, go into I that. So. Okay. I it was All right. A great segue. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, so this came, this came up, this topic, you know, I was kind of hemming and hawing about, you know, what I wanted to talk about this week, but I had a, a long time acquaintance reach out to me on Facebook. I talked with her for, for a few minutes. Uh, her, her mother is, is a very special person to me. 
And I always ask about her mom and, you know, mom's getting up there in age and her health is slowly declining, et cetera, et cetera. And I learned about all that. But during the conversation, she'd asked me um, if I was happy. You know, and, and a, a lot, often we run into people that we haven't seen in a long time and they typically will ask, you know, are you happy in life, right? Because this, you know, the conversation sort of divulge into how's it going, right? What's new in your life? Yeah. What's new in your yeah. world? You know, hey, I haven't what's spoken. What's going on? I haven't yeah. talked to you forever. How are you I haven't, doing? I haven't spoken to this old acquaintance of mine in five, maybe six years. Uh, and so, you know, kind of the natural question is, it's like when you get together at a party, you don't know anybody. And what does everybody always ask everybody else? What do you do for a living? Right. They always yeah. kind of devolve to that stupid right. question. Mm -hmm. uh, not that asking if somebody's happy is a stupid question, but I think you get the point. Mm -hmm. We tend to go there and just sort of ask, you know, people that we haven't seen in a long time, if they're happy or if they're happy in life. And, and we want people to be happy. We, I want you to be happy. I'm sure you want me to be happy, but what does that truly mean when we ask somebody, are you happy? Well, and, and is that really what we should strive to be? And, and that's an interesting question. I have to be honest because I, I'm, I'm thinking about a you know, situation where I come across somebody I haven't seen. Oh, and there's a lot of pleasantries. How have you been? What have you been up to? Yeah. Where are you at now? Where are you working? And I think through that natural conversation, you kind of get a feel for, I guess the emotional state of somebody else, if they look stressed out or if they, but I, I can honestly say, I don't know that I have been asked or asked somebody that I haven't seen in a while. Are you happy? I mean, that that's, it's, it's a very specific and, and almost odd question. Um, I think that's something we naturally through our conversation kind of ascertain or ask questions like, um, so it's interesting to me that your friend actually asked you directly, are you happy? I think it's more of a maternal instinct. I think moms typically ask people that question. Okay. Moms, particularly moms, a lot of moms. I've been asked that question by a lot of women who are like my second mom okay. right, from high school and such. You know, I run into them and they, they always ask me, are you happy? You know, my grandmothers used to ask me if I was happy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those kinds of things. I, I find it's a, it's a, it kind of comes from a more maternal, maternal. place. Um, I've never been asked that by a dude. I don't think I've ever been asked by no. a dude if I were happy. But, but this is an interesting, given to our previous um, gender-based discussion, I think this is an interesting uh, point of contention um, that I think women are more finely in tune with the overall, and again, whole picture nature of the individual to who they're interacting. Sure. Men are very specific. What are you doing? How, are you making more money? Um, what project are you working on out in the garage? You know, those are very point specific things that men tend to um, converse over. And I agree with you, actually, now that you say that I can think of, you know, um, some maternal figures in my life who asked, you know, how are things? Are you happy? Are you happy in life? Are things going well for you in life that you're and it's more of a general satisfaction based I think yeah yeah oh yeah definitely and and that's where this question came from when she asked mm -hmm. me this question she's she's older than I am she's uh you know she would be like a big sister uh and, and so I kind of you know I took it I mean I took it in a positive way I wasn't offended by the question well, sure. um you know but it got me thinking you know what is it what does it mean to be happy now I don't think that I, I don't believe that as a, as a species, we can be happy all the time. I, 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 think, I think happiness is sort of a byproduct of 
of a given situation because I think there are times when we are sad and we definitely want to be sad. If you, if you are, are sad, let's say, because you're mourning the passing of a loved one, mm-hmm. you, there are many people who want to feel that sadness. They, they need to feel that sadness as part of the healing process. Okay. Um, and, and so there are times when, you know, our sadness or by being sad, it actually helps us to appreciate those moments that are happier than when we are sad. And, and, and so I don't think that it's possible to live life, you know, the, yeah. all the time. Well, and I do believe that 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 idea of happiness, there's a very, a very strong distinction between um, happiness as a satisfaction versus a happiness of joy. Yes. So, I mean, and, and I agree with you, you know, I, I, I've talked to you, you know, for a lot many different occasions about my father. I mean, he, he, um, I had a very special relationship with my dad. And when I think about him, I'm overwhelmingly happy and equally just, uh, um, sad. And, and I, I have cried many tears for my dad and I don't think that will ever stop. Um, he, he's passed. And, um, so I think about him often, but that just, even in those moments of sadness, there is a joy in the memories of the, yeah. Uh, impact he had upon my life. So um, I don't think being sad necessarily takes away from the satisfaction or happiness in my overall life. Right. So I, I think I think happiness is more of an emergent state. And I also think it's, it's transient because it, it, it comes and it, it ebbs and flows mm-hmm. based on context. I don't think, I think most people, you know, I, you know, I'm at a point in my life where for the, for the, for the most part, I'm pretty content. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, does that mean I'm happy? And, you know, I, I think about that and I'm like, Hmm, well, I, and I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it does, but I don't think that's a bad thing to say that. I, I think it's, I think happiness comes and goes. And for the most part, I think contentment is is a better word and i think it's a stronger word that equates to my mental and emotional state at any given time well and so i understand what you're saying i would challenge i think the choice of word because we talk about and i i like the idea of satisfaction so let me and what i mean by that is let's let's equate life to a, a good meal okay Cause I'm a dude. So I think with my stomach, so that's where I go first. Um, you know, I've had a meal that's just been, Oh my God, this is so good. And I just eat it and eat it. And I'm like, ah, I am overjoyed. And then that just kind of goes away. Right. Um, and then I've had other meals. I'm like, this, this is terrible. God, I sucked at dinner tonight. I'm just, this is awful. But what I like to look at it is if, if, your life and you are able to eat and you go, you know what? That was good. I am satisfied. That's kind of a a very, I guess, overarching idea where you're, you are getting enough of both. So, um, I use, I'm using contentment. I know you're using content in a, in a simile sense. And and I, I can agree with that. I like satisfaction better. And so therefore I'm going to stick. I like contentment because nobody uses it. I know. Well, and you're just contentious. So I, I believe you, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Touche. Touche. <laughs> Perry, thrust, you know. <laughs> so, you know, for me, happiness in life, I believe it's not overjoyed. I think that becomes almost manic in a sense. Right. If, right. if you come across somebody that is really happy all the time, you, they, they're almost unnerving to you to where you're like, okay, yeah. you're a little over the top and you're always this way. I, I appreciate that, but I'm going to appreciate you from a distance. So just stay over there. Um, I, in order for there to be joy in your life, there has to be sadness. You ever see that movie Inside Out? It was an old Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the end lesson. You had to have um, sadness to be able to feel that joy. And I do believe that with an equal measure of that, you can find that inner satisfaction. It's the same idea of the yin-yang in um, Eastern uh, mythology, that um, wisdom and strength, light and dark, those things must be at balance for you to find inner peace. And that's that peace, that satisfaction in the center. That's when somebody asks me if I'm happy, I believe that's really more, especially in that maternal sense, or are, do you have satisfaction in your life? Are you, are you well satisfied? Maybe so then, I went a little too Zen for you. Sorry. No, no, that was totally <laughs> fine. I, I guess the, the, the question that I'm, I'm looking for or exploring then is, well, what is it that we should, we should aspire to? Um, I, I don't, I don't think that trying to find happiness is the right course of action. Uh, and, and I think we say that too often in our society. And I think it, I think it creates, I think it leads to a, to neuroses. I really okay. do. Um, because when we, when we tend to say, you know, are you happy? We also tend to follow that up with, well, what makes you happy? And most of the time, uh, we tend to think of that in terms of external things. Sure. Do I have sure. the right job? Do I have the right house? Um, you know, am I taking the right vacations? Do I wear the right clothes? And, and we tend to think in terms of going out and acquiring, you know, material objects. And, and we always, and, you know, for a lot of, a lot of people, especially in our culture, I'll be happy when I own, when I finally own my own house, or I'll it's, be happy when I finally have that new car. It's a, it's a very wealth driven and wealth measured satisfaction rating. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, I think the, 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 the better, which we should be looking to or aspire to is, is more internally. And I would say, are we, are, are we becoming better than what we were? Well, okay. And that's that I, I can agree with that. Um, there's a handful of organizations that actually propose that, but I guess, um, so for the average person, how do we measure that? Because I think that's an important do need part. To. Why well, do you need to measure it? So if you ask me, am I a better person than I was before? Oh. Okay. Well, I would need to be able to internally look and say, well, how do I measure the man I am today versus the man I was last year or five years ago or whatever? How do we measure that personal or individual growth that makes us quote unquote better? Well, I think you have the, the only way to start is you have to, you have to be willing to reflect on you as, as a whole person. And I think too many people are afraid to do that. 
so you have, if you're going to become better than what you are right now, you have to know so much about who you are as an individual. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, one of our earlier episodes, we talked about, you know, are people good or evil? And, um, you know, and, and I think we both kind of, I think we both agreed that there is shadow within us sure, to a certain degree. Right. Um, and I think in order to become better than who you are, you have to be willing to really know your shadow mm-hmm. and how many of us are willing to sit down and truly look at that shadow and look how, you know, look at it from all sides and really get to know it. How many people want to do that? I don't think very many people do. I think most people, uh, they avoid that topic because they're afraid to look in there. You know, Nietzsche, it was Nietzsche who talked about, you know, be careful when you look in the abyss because the abyss looks back. Mm-hmm. Well, right? and and so I think that there's there's a key component here. I don't necessarily, I don't know that I necessarily agree people are afraid to look inside. However, I will um concede that most people are not willing to address the shortcomings in a manner which would involve action to address it well and, and i see where you're going with there and i think you're on to something because I, I i think people look for the low-hanging fruit sure I, I think it's really easy for somebody to say oh you know i'm a procrastinator right or somebody really easy for somebody to say, you know what? I tend to I tend to not say no, so I take on too much stuff. Yeah. These are right? all the New Year's resolution items. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I, I think people could those things technically be part of our shadow? Probably, maybe. You know, for 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 the sake of argument, I'll just say they are. Okay, you know, but I would consider those to be the low hanging fruit. When I say know your shadow, I'm talking about getting deep. Yeah. I'm talking about well, really looking into your faults and your fallacies and where you really need to work as a person. I don't think most people want to do that. Oh, no, 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 no. And I agree with you. And I would challenge. So I, I've had this issue with New Year's resolution. So I'm going to use that because I think it's a really good example. So let's let's pick a New Year's resolution that that some that it's really low hanging. Pick one. I mean, uh, lose 10 pounds, lose weight. OK. So I say I'm overweight, so I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Well, all right. Don't just say I want to lose weight. Then ask the question, well, why am I overweight? Why do I want to lose 10 pounds? Why do I want to lose 10 pounds? Well, I feel like I'm overweight and I feel, all right. So is it, are you looking at addressing your sense of inadequacy amongst your peers? Or are you looking at your actual eating habits and where you're devising comforts from and are you seeking comfort in food because you're not getting it other places or you know what I mean now you're actually taking some of these little items and really diving deep into making real life changes and now you're actually starting to develop yourself as an as a human being as an individual that is the level of addressing those things that I feel that most people are not willing to do you know what i mean it's like um um i want to quit smoking well why did you start smoking what is smoking doing that's um giving you satisfaction because i i guarantee you most people that smoke they don't do it because they just like the habit there's something else that they're getting satisfaction from sure Sure. Is there a physical habit there? Absolutely. I don't know a single person who's quit smoking or has smoked that can't or can deny that. 
but there's also other underlying things, you know, and looking at those, even just, it doesn't matter what it is. Now you're actually looking at root cause analysis for those situations. It's not just addressing the one-off problems. And I think that's where a lot of people really, they don't want to put in the kind of effort to actually dive deep down into why those things even exist in their lives to begin with. Um, and some people find things that they, maybe they like and they don't want to get rid of. You know, I, I talked before, I, one of my shadows is I can be brutally honest sometimes. I don't know that I'm ready to give that up. That's just, that's me. And I, I'm just not, at least I know. And I was actually making this comment with a friend at work the other day. I know if I'm brutally honest that I can usually account for everything I've said because it was honest and upfront and direct. But is that a negative or a positive? Maybe it's both. Some, I think it's more negative, more shadow than light, but that's part of who I am. I don't know that I'm ready to give that up. So, but even recognizing that I think is a, is a step towards development of my own self. And, and see, so the reason why I don't think people want to look at their shadow is I think they would be too afraid of it. I mean, we talked about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about ideologies and how uh, people are, you, you, you know, they get to a point where they don't even want to accept a truth that has nothing to do with them, that might just expose their ideology for what it is. And because they've invested so much in the ideology, they don't even want to acknowledge that it's a false, that it's, it's an incorrect ideology to believe. And, and so they will fight against that at all measure because they've invested so much into it. I think people feel the same way about their, their shadow. I think they, they, that shadow speaks to so much about who they are. Um, even if they suppress it all the time, it's still fundamentally deeply a part of who they are, more so than their belief in an ideology, more so than being a Scientologist or being a Jehovah's Witness or something like that, right? That shadow is truly, truly, deeply, deeply embedded in who you are. If people can't let go of, their, of those ideologies or can only do so through massive psychological pain, then they can't truly understand and analyze their shadow without going through true psychological pain. You already know that you're brutally honest. There's no psychological pain there. You already know it. Now that I think that would be more about a low hanging fruit for you. If you were to equate that to your shadow, but, but you know, most people can't even, can't even think about the possibility of letting go of a truth that they, you know, something that they hold to be true in their mind. And if you come along and you, you're truth telling and you blow that out of the water and you show them how it's false, that is physically and emotionally and spiritually hurtful to people. It sometimes hearing the truth destroys people. And so they will do everything not to confront the truth, including the truth about their own selves. And that's why I don't think most people want to look at, want to understand, but Okay, to bring this back to the happiness bucket, right? I, I think I think the the better course of action is trying to figure out: Are you are you a whole person? Are you complete? You know, what is it that's going to complete you and make you a fuller person? And you should seek those things. And that's nothing to deal with um, with external material things. That's that's really about. Uh, you know, the introspection and being mindful 
and finding your own inner path. That's, that's what, that's what becoming a whole being is about is really about that inward journey, not that external journey. And I don't think people are capable of doing that. I, I don't think, you know, we, we talked about how people just, most people just don't even think they can't even think they're just agreeing with their initial thoughts, right? When they get an idea, they just agree with it and they think they're thinking, but they're truly not really thinking. Um, I don't think people truly have the desire to try to become a whole person. I think that's too difficult for most people. Not to say that they're incapable of doing it. I just think it's difficult for people and it's, and it's a, a path that they, this, I think this leads to the, well, I'm not religious, I'm a spiritual conversation. No, it, it absolutely does. And, and this is, inter this is, wow. Um, so I had to write this down because I mean, are you a whole person? I, I, I'll be honest. I'm not sure how to answer that. I mean, of course, my, my first reaction, my want reaction you want to in, say in, yes. in my feelers right here is to go, well, of course I'm a whole person. Right. Um, but if I'm going to look at this from a true values and principles based discussion, um, what does this mean? What does this mean to be a whole person? Now, I mean, I could argue that, that of course I'm whole because I have, I have both sides of joy and sadness in my life. I have equal satisfaction and dissatisfaction. And there are things that make me, you know, pleasantly happy or overwhelmingly upset that makes mm -hmm. me whole but you know i guess the if i had to look at this con contrastingly um are there voids in my life in my person right now that are not being fulfilled because if if i'm not whole then that means there's a space so if, if i can't answer this question looking at it am i a whole person Maybe looking at it in the contrasting light, are there voids in my life that I feel need to be fulfilled? Um, I don't know that I have an answer to that quite yet, honestly, either. Um, that's the first, this is a new question for me. But that doesn't mean I'm going to shy away from it and not self-evaluate that. Because I think that's that's something that, that, and we talked about this before, what fills the void if we have those voids within our person? And if we're going to be able to guard against that, and, and seek true fulfillment in our life, we have to be cautious of where those voids are because nature abhors a vacuum. Something will Something fill that if we allow it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so me as a response, as I guess a responsible individual, I need to make sure that there are no voids that are going to be fulfilled by other things. You know, I, I've been wrestling with this question now for a while. And uh, I mean, I just kind of rethought about it and because of the conversation that I had over the weekend, uh, but one of the things that I noticed, this this kind of this just sort of happened, right? It wasn't it was wasn't something that I planned on or really really thought about. But uh, a few years ago, I decided that I was going to uh, embrace minimalism. And for those who don't know what minimalism is, it's really just trying to get rid of all your crap. What is what? <laughs> That's really what it boils down to, right? It's getting rid of I, all your crap. I saw what hoarders look like and I don't want to be that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and there's there's a few things that I noticed when I was getting rid of crap, right? And I only looked at my crap. What's my crap and do I really need it? Uh, and I started throwing things away. I just started getting rid of it and getting rid of it by the droves, um, just by the garbage bags full and just throwing stuff away. 
And I found that that tossing so many belongings was very freeing. Like there was this, this emotional and spiritual weight felt like it had been lifted off, off of me by getting rid of so much stuff. Mm. Um, and I mean, there, there was one point in my life. I mean, I've been teased about it enough. There's one point in my life where I had like 30 different pairs of shoes. That's unheard of for a guy. Yeah. Right. Most guys have like two, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like a dress shoe and a tennis shoe, right? I got my boots, my sneakers. Actually, I have a pair of hunting boots and my house shoes. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Most guys have like that. Well, I now have, I think like four pairs now. Right. Mm -hmm. So I consolidated all that. And, you know, and I did it and I, I minimum, I, I minimized my minimalized my wardrobe. I minimalized my personal belongings and it really became this exercise of, I want to say, curating the items that I had. Um, and it was, one, it was very difficult to do. I had to spend a lot of time reflecting personally on how I was attached to objects and so that I could get rid of them. But I would get rid of them. And I just felt like such, there was a transformation in inside me that happened when I was purging all this crap. And of course, you know, this is something that, and I, and I, and I felt like that we talked about being content or being satisfied. I felt like by doing that, I was becoming whole, more whole, right. Mm -hmm. More complete by doing that. And that's when I started feeling like this is a, this is much more of an internal thing that you have to go through and purging stuff was sort of a, for me anyway, was a, a way to reflect on that. Of course, as you just mentioned, nature abhors a vacuum. So you have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Being, a, me, being a minimalist means you have to constantly be thinking about and not thinking about in a negative way, but there's, it's very easy in our culture to just add a bunch of crap. Well, and, and it's interesting, you know, I'm, I've, I've <laughs> you know, this about me too. I'm overwhelmingly sentimental um and so let hey take it easy now let's not get that (laughs) way so but to your point i can actually understand so like example this this is a coffee mug all right my dad Mm -hmm. gave or my dad gave this to me so i'm never going to get rid of it i know how i am well i keep it i I thought that hold on give me give me just a second because i know i know where you're going so this is this is kind of a cool exercise for me um but i could it's just a mug yeah. My now that doesn't take away from the sentiment that my dad had when he gave it to me, nor mine when I received it. But I can actually look at this and take that memory and internalize it and keep it locked safe in the in the breast or the repository of faithful breast and keep it here much more fondly because this can get broke. This can get thrown away. Sure. sure. And once I do that then I'm free to actually discard this, you know, dollar fifty mug. And I have the memory actually safely rep- um, stored right here where it belongs. And that's safer and means much more. And it actually can fill that void or that empty space much more deeply than the actual physical object can. So, so it's, and, and I've never looked at it that way. So that's really, that's really interesting. So really- let me ask you this. Could you be able to get rid of it if you took a picture of it, 
You just um, you just said that you like to look at it and rethink no, no, of your dad. No, 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 no. I didn't say I like to look at it and think of my dad. I said when I look at it. When you look at it, you think of your father. I would never look at a picture like that. And 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 I just know that Why about not? me. I just wouldn't. I the pictures are well, you mean. you you think you wouldn't, but if you did, <laughs> if you you just said you're a very sentimental person. I am. If if you took a picture of of items that you have around your house that are sentimental, mm-hmm. and then you got rid of those, how many of those items? did you keep that they're sentimental for you, but you actually have to dig them out in order to see them? Oh, I got, I, I, you know what? I got a great one just came to my head. It's in a box in my closet that I literally could not get to right now if I wanted to, but it's precious to you. It is absolutely precious. It was a a baseball mitt that used to be my, I think it was my grandfather's that was given to my dad that I played t-ball with. It was an old, I mean, it looks like it's a second baseman's mitt. If you're familiar from the thirties, I mean, buried, never get rid of it. Not a chance in H E double hockey sticks. I'll get rid of this coffee mug in a, in, in a heartbeat over that. Now, now let me, let me ask you this. I, w- oh. I want you to think about this. I know. Okay. And you going. don't, you don't have to, you, you know, you don't have to reach a conclusion tonight, <laughs> but I want you to oh, think good. about this over the next <laughs> several days. What, what if, what if you had one of those, um, those digital uh, picture frames where you can mm-hmm. store like 500 pictures on it. Mm-hmm. And you were to take pictures of all of the items that hold really meaningful, that are meaningful and sentimental to you. You're like that, like that mitt, like that coffee mug that's there. And you were to load those pictures onto that digital frame. And now you have that digital frame on your desk or in the living room. And that's just, you know, every few seconds it switches and you see something else. You would probably see that mitt more times in a month than you have in 10 years with it being in a box in your closet. Sure. And, and every time you saw it on that digital frame, you would get all warm and fuzzy. And that mitt would still carry, would still evoke those emotional places deep within your heart, within your breast, as if you were to take it out of the box and look at it. But now it's in front of you more because mm-hmm. now it's actually displayed by taking that picture and putting it on a, in, a, in, a, in a digital frame and putting it in a special place in your house. You've now elevated it to something that is much more meaningful and out there. And now maybe your kids might see it every once in a while and they might ask you what that's about. And they might ask you three or four times because they're going to see the picture over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that story and the stories around that mitt might actually get transmitted to your children much more easier and faster and more meaningful than it being in a closet in your bedroom that maybe at the rate you're going, your children might not even discover it until after you pass away when they're cleaning out your house. And then they're going to take it out and go, why did dad have an old mitt? Wonder whose mitt this was. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going? No, I absolutely 100% understand you absolutely just do not even want you to are making you just don't even want to entertain the idea it that won't work for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's fair that's fine okay that's fine. you know part so of- i understand for you that you were able to purge yourselves of all of those objects and I'm now cold-blooded. have photographic I, I, no no, I'm no a, it's I'm not a cold-blooded, cold-blooded difference cold-blooded of nature absolutely 100 yeah. percent understand but again for me I know that won't work for me. Not that. 
perhaps something else, maybe, but that won't. Well, so, so remember minimalism, minimalism and achieving this, you know, this road to, to wholeness. I, and I found myself much, I guess the only play, the only way to describe it was happier. I felt happier getting rid of a lot of things, but at the same time, minimalism is not just about getting rid of everything in your life. I mean, obviously you can see that there's, there's stuff behind me, right? right? And, and essentially this is pretty much all of the objects, what you can see behind me is pretty much everything that I own that's materialized that I would, that I would say is material. I don't know really, I don't own much more behind, behind my head. Um, and I can, if I were to move, I can pack this office in about two boxes, right? And it'd take me about 10 minutes to do so. Um, but, but minimalism, there's also a part of minimalism that I think is really interesting. And that is you find yourself becoming more of a curator of those items. So yeah, to your point, maybe that mitt, maybe that's too much of a sentimental item, but if you got rid of other things that were not as sentimental, maybe you could then take that mitt and I don't know, put it in a, a nice, a shadow box and actually display it so yes. that it's out in your house and you have something to talk about yep. and really celebrate that and have it really bring some more meaning for you. But what if you had a rule like, okay, in order to keep this mitt, I'm going to get rid of 10 things. Sure. Whatever those 10 things are, I don't care. Um, you know, pick 10 things and get rid of 10 things. And now you can display your mitt. I mean, would mm -hmm. that be something you can embrace? Absolutely. Okay. Thing. And and no, I'm not saying that the the ends are not are are impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's and I think the key really that we need to focus in on it's allowing yourself the opportunity for that necessary introspection to Correct. determine the harmony of what your own personal satisfaction and wholeness is, and without addressing those other, um, I guess you could call it like you said the the shadow within. Um, you'll never have the opportunity to grow and appreciate the light that is within as well. Yeah, because there there are some sentimental items that I have. I'm not much of a sentimental person in terms of objects, but there are, there are a few things that I have, uh, but I've tried to keep them really, really small. For example, I, I own one item, one item that for me encompasses all four of my grandparents. And, and it's my grandfather's Masonic ring. That's it. Okay. I don't own anything from any of my other grandparents other than my grandfather's Masonic ring, but I do have pictures of my grandparents. So for me, it was more about the pictures and curating the collection of pictures. But at the same time, all of my pictures are digital. I have prints that I printed out from those digital copies. But like, if I had to just, like if my house caught on fire and I had to get out, I just go like I, I can replace <laughs> like literally, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really at that point it's more like, where's the dog. Right. Yeah. Um, because all of the pictures I can replace them because they're all digital and I can buy new frames and rehang them on the walls. And, you know, literally everything could go. And I don't, I even have a picture of my grandfather's ring. So if at some point something did happen to it, yeah, I can still see the picture from now from mm -hmm. time to time. Anyway. Well, and, and it's, and it's interesting, you know, my, I think about my um, maternal grandfather a lot. Um, he had a huge impact on my life and, and yet I probably have, I don't know, think I have really much of anything that he either gave me or any physical material objects that he imparted on me. But 
um, there's a handful of old gospel songs that when I hear, they always bring, you know, a tear to my eye when I think about my grand. My grandfather has imparted more one-liners and, and phrases and sayings on my life than I think anybody else. Um, my grandpa was great at just throwing those out there, you know. Um, I think that's because he was left-handed. So he had all that kind of weird stuff stored away. You <laughs> Left-handed know, my, people are weird that way. <laughs> my only my only regret from my grandparents is that I do not have more recipes. Oh. Um, because I, I do enjoy cooking over Thanksgiving. I make I, I typically make a, a dessert dish. I make it every like Christmas or Thanksgiving, usually for a special occasion. Every every Thanksgiving I make it at least, if nothing else. And it takes me about an hour to make it. Uh, it's very easy to make, but there's a lot of little steps and, and stuff that I have to do. And so it's about maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes, really, I guess, is how long it takes. But the entire time that I make it, I think about my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I think about uh, different times at her house. And that, the whole time while I'm making it, I just think about my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm a little sad, but for the most part, you know, so being able to make that dish, I think about her. Sure. Um, and I wish I had more recipes because I, I purposely do not want objects of them, but a recipe is great because I can, you know, it's, a, and I make it and then I get to experience it and I get to eat it and I go, ah, it's just like grandmother used to make. Right. And I get to enjoy that meal growing up eating, you know, having a meal as a family was a very big deal. It was a very big mm-hmm. thing. So being able to make a recipe, put it together and then enjoy it. And then because it's a dessert, it lasts several days. And now that whole, you know, it's not just the, the 30, 45 minutes of thinking a grandmother, it's, you know, it's stretched out over a long period of time. And I get to kind of celebrate her sure. over that whole time and think about all those memories as a kid and everything. To me, that's really where I think that's the purpose of having these sentimental things, but I think most people, sadly, they put it in a box and put it in the in the closet. How do you get it out of the How do you get it out of the closet so that it brings wholeness to you and you reflect on it and enjoy it? Yeah, and and that's that's where tying I think memories um, and really expounding upon that. You know, um, you talked about recipes. My grandmother one year for Christmas gave all the granddaughters a recipe book. She wrote out recipes with her own hand um, and then copied it and put it in little binders and gave everybody one. And, you know, my grandmother, oh, she was awesome when it came to stuff with especially baking stuff. But she always said, you know, like a spoon of sugar. Well, my, my grandmother never owned a set of measuring spoons. When she said a tablespoon, that meant the spoon that you would use at the table. It's just a regular, you know, silverware spoon. That was a it's a tablespoon. That's what that meant. So you had to really, and she actually wrote that out, but it was, it's really cool. Cause it's in her hand, which yeah, was neat. Yeah. But honestly, more than even those recipes, um, one of my favorite snacks is popcorn. There is not a single time I ever make popcorn that I don't smile and think of my grandmother. Right. Because when I, I would go stay with my grandmother on Tuesday nights, every night, pretty much, or every, yeah, uh, throughout high school on Tuesday nights because it was band practice and it was over by my grandma's house. That was before I was driving, but um, that was our snack. We, we'd have popcorn all the time. So anytime I even smell popcorn with the butter and all that salt, because my grandmother was not shy using salt ever, um, was awesome. And so even just smelling popcorn, I think of my grandparents. So, <clears throat> I, you know, just those little things that's 
that brings me some joy. Well, and I think that's part of becoming a, a more whole person, right? Is, is thinking back on those things. And uh, I, I think it's the more simpler items as opposed to, oh yeah, this was grandmother's stall, right? Or stole, whatever it is, right? Whatever, <laughs> or sweater, let's say. Um, shawl? Or, shawl, there we go. I'm like, stall? <laughs> Does she have a favorite bathroom spot or what? <laughs> Hey, some grandmothers, you never know, man. Oh my gosh. Okay. I got you now. But let's, say you're, let's say you're holding on to your grandmother's sweater. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you don't wear it because it's your grandmother's sweater and you right. can't get rid of it because it was your grandmother's sweater. But to me, what's more meaningful, what seems more meaningful would be your stories about popcorn. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a, as a minimalist, if it were me, I would challenge my, I would, I would look at it and say, am I really getting anything out of this sweater or what is it that's really meaningful to me about my grandmother? Oh, it's popcorn. What can I do to, to remember her more regularly and, you know, enjoying popcorn could be one of those things. Right. And then then it becomes this more, it's now not just a memory, but it's an experience because you're actually making the popcorn and doing all that. So as a minimalist, I think, I think a lot of minimalists do that. They, they, they literally, you literally have to curate the things that you keep around and say, yes, this reminds me of my grandmother, but so does this other thing, which one is more meaningful and which one do I want to keep? The easy way is just to say both. I'm going to keep both of them and that's okay. Um, but then can you challenge yourself and say, well, do I really need this thing right here? Or am I fine with just this other piece? Right. Well, and I think if, again, taking this back to the, the wholeness as an individual, um, how many things in our lives do we have or do that we do, whether they're habits or, um, you know, things that we occupy our time or things that occupy our, our money? You know, we talked about that a little bit before too, um, that are actually filling a void that mm-hmm. are unnecessary. And I think just like you're talking about with that minimalist mentality and in, in curating the, the materials in your life, I think with some introspection, we can probably um, identify and eliminate things that are occupying our faculties, whether they're mental or financial or whatever, parts of our life that that we don't necessarily have to have. And probably in that process, I believe we could find areas where we could become more um, satisfied with who we are as an individual and probably liberate ourselves from a lot of the vices that we, we didn't even recognize up until that point that we're, we're occupying so much of our, our faculties. Well, and then keeping in mind from like a psychological perspective, um, a person's mental state is often reflected in the clutter in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're, if your house is very cluttered, that tends to be a sign that, or evidence of things going on internally are also pretty cluttered as well. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're a bad person. I'm not trying to say that at all. No. But if, 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 you're, if the world that you live in is cluttered, then your mind is probably just chaotic as well. And, and you probably feel very chaotic. There's probably this prevailing sense that you're, you're living in all of this chaos because well, like everything around you is chaos. But if you can, if you can find that order and you can organize those things, 
And, and that's why minimalism helps so much, at least from my perspective, because you can't help but have everything ordered if you don't have anything. Right. And, and I, I know, I, I'm sure everyone out there knows somebody who, you know, you, they can't just turn their brain off. They just literally right, cannot right. shut down their minds right. going hundred miles an hour, mile a minute and, and 900 different directions. And there usually is, they're, they're just, there's just clutter and stuff everywhere. Um, and it, it just happens and it's not, they know where everything's at. It's just kind of like piles over here, piles over there. And I know for me, when I start feeling like, I'm, I'm stressed and overwhelmed and I can't get a beat on anything and everything's just a mess. That's usually the time where I snap and I hit that breaking point. My wife recognizes it now too. And that's where I go, okay, that's it. And I just go like a whirlwind through the whole friggin' house and I got to clean everything. And I start just throwing stuff off the counter and i'm like okay now it's organized everything on the floor if it's important it'll get put away or if it's not it'll get thrown away and i mean it's just it's this complete clean slate and usually by the time i'm done with that all the other stuff that i was worried about it's kind of just kind of mellowed down a little bit more manageable and it's it's that idea of I guess, eliminating the chaos in the physical so that the mental capacities can kind of come back down and find some sense of order in that. Yeah, it happens a lot. And the, the, the challenging thing, I think the, the difficult thing about when, especially when I was first um, starting to become a minimalist was trying to break free of that. Well, I might need it. Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about the sentimental things. I'm just, you know, well, I don't want to get rid of this because I, I might need it someday. Well, it's been sitting in this box in the closet for five years. If, yeah. You know, <laughs> if I don't, if I haven't needed it by now, I'm probably not going to need it. I got a box. Actually, literally, I'm looking at it right now and it's labeled um, computer parts miscellaneous. Get rid of that box. And it's it's cables and Get stuff. And I'm telling you right now, it, it's funny. I know there are cables that were absolutely 100% useful probably about 10 years ago. Right. But right. I don't know a single printer that uses the, the giant plug, you know, that's got right. the, the 900 pins in it anymore. Yeah. There's no need for me to keep it, but I'm like, no. yeah, but it's, you know, yeah. it was valuable before. <laughs> well, and, and most people, I was one of these people where I had those kinds of boxes of stuff that I was going to, you know, I might need it someday, mm -hmm. but then the time would come. There might be a time that would, that came where, yeah, I needed one of those items, but I hadn't looked in the box in forever. So I didn't know it was in there anymore. Yeah, so you ended up buying and, it anyway. <laughs> so I went and I bought it. I bought it again. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, screw this. You know, I I'm getting rid of all this crap because I can't stand it anymore. And yeah, it's just very, very, it's very freeing. Um, and unless you've, unless you've really just buckled down and thrown stuff away, even the stuff it's, it's cathartic. If you have something that is like, you're really holding on to it and you do release it and let it go. It's even like, it's like hitting the jackpot when you're just throwing stuff. It's easy. Like if, ah, yeah, I've been holding on to this for, you know, three years, get rid of it. Fine. No big deal. But to get rid of something that you've been holding on because you feel this emotional attachment and you finally are able to let it, it's, 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 it's extremely liberating. It's, it's very euphoric. I'm really kind of sad. I'm at this point now where I don't really have much of anything left to give. I don't have anything else to throw away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll make a suggestion mm. from me to you. Cause you know, I love you. Let um, me come and throw everything out of your house. Nope. Um, 
I I think you should take that hat you're wearing and toss it out. I think you are holding on to memories of a a school experience that um, I think is holding you back. So I think you need to take that ASU Sun Devils hat and right now, not just throw it away, throw it out the window. I mean, just literally send it off into the wind. I think it would be very, very helpful for you. Negative. Never, never happening. (laughs) (laughs) Never happening. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> good, good, uh, good talk. Okay. I was going to say, did you feel like we accomplished anything talking about what were we talking about? Happiness? Yeah. Happiness. Okay. We'll probably have to come back and revisit that too. I think we might. Yeah. I think we might. I think it was a, it was a good one. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. It was a good discussion. It was, it was uplifting and, and we'll have to see if we piss anybody off. Uh, talking about you know i think we had so many disclaimers ahead of time um <laughs> that <laughs> we at least built in insurance yeah i at least a, a little bit of understanding out there that we're we're not hating on anything but if we're going to look at anything from a logic-based and values and principles-based discussion you, you then gotta... we need to take the emotionality out of the equation and look at the factors as they are well and remember we have you have to be willing to talk about these things and, and it's okay to ask questions. That doesn't mean people are being bigoted. It doesn't mean people are being hateful. We have to be able to discuss things and ask questions because you know what? Part of what we're doing here is we're also working through our own ideas. Sure. We don't play to, we don't try to say that we have all the answers to anything. We have ideas and well, we can't really work through them unless you talk about them. And by right. talking about them is a way of thinking about them. So, you know, um, And if anybody out there thinks there's a, there's a single part of this show that is scripted, I got news for you. (laughs) So there's no script. There is absolutely no script. So yeah, we we're trying to actually take, and again, by us having a very strong base of values and principles on who we are as individuals, it allows us to take a very open and honest and independent look at all of these concepts, whether they are current events or pop culture or, you know, something more, I guess, overarching or deep, like um, what being a whole person means and just trying to unpack that and look at it. So um, anybody else out there, if you have some other insights or things that you think that um, Lucy and I were close, but didn't quite touch on, shoot us a line and let us know. Let's, um, let's revisit that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as always, you can find all of our stuff out on our website at fusionunderground.net. You can get all of the uh, feeds the for the audio podcast. You can also find links uh, <clears throat> to our podcast on Anchor. We're out there on Anchor, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple. Uh, we're on all the big on all the big sites. Just search for Fusion Underground. You're bound to find us. We're on YouTube. Um, you can find all of our YouTube videos off of our website at fusionunderground.net. We are on Facebook at Fusion Underground, or sorry, facebook.com forward slash AZ Fusion Underground. We're on Parlor now, so we are hanging out there. We're still banned from Twitter. Um, c'est la vie. Um, and I think that about wraps it up. If you want to send us hate mail, you can send it to contact at fusionunderground.net. We do read all of them. Uh, we're getting emails and we'll have to do a, we keep talking about this. And one yep. of these days yep. we will read emails and kind of go through them. Uh, so if you want to have your email read on the show, just send it to us and eventually we'll find the time and go through all of that. So for Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez and you've been listening to Fusion Underground. Peace out, everybody. Have Bye. a good night. <laughs>